This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. other 19 hours of our broadcast week where I control all that you see and hear. This hour is up to you. If this hour is boring, if this hour is not stimulating, if this hour is uninteresting, you get at least half the blame. And if this hour is the opposite of all of those things, you get half the credit. We'll give you even more than half the credit because that's right. It's been eight days, and it is once again time for... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Whatever you have questions about. Cinema, cocktails, Atlantic City, politics, the mob, aliens, Star Trek, you name it. Questions about the radio business... Questions about uh, my personal life, you want it, You need advice on a certain something, you have questions about, uh, I don't know, really anything under the sun, I don't know that I'm going to be able to answer it, but I can promise you that I will give an earnest effort in terms of trying to answer that question. What are your questions? Give me a call at 800-848-9222, the one thing that I would ask. Uh, is that if you are somebody that gets on every week and you've had 10 questions asked, give someone new a chance because what so often happens with this is within the first minute, all the lines get jammed. And then a lot of people that might stumble upon the show for the first time, they don't get an opportunity to get their question asked. So if you've been on the show before, I'd say wait 15 minutes. That's all I would ask. It's a request, not not by any means a mandate. 800 let me say hello to Dan in Farmingdale. Hello, Dan. Yeah, Frank, the sci-fi movies. I'll give you three. What was better, the original or the remake? I'll hang up for your response. Okay. The Fly, The Thing, The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, okay, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I'm going with the original. Um, uh, the Fly, the remake was with Jeff Goldblum, right? Yeah, yeah, there was. There was a... Is that the one you're uh, talking about? Is that the remake you're talking about? Yeah, they did have one in between, but I, I don't. I don't even really. Well, no, I know, right. I know, and, and I didn't see that one. That's why I'm not. I'm curious which one you're you're asking about. The Jeff Goldblum yeah. one, and and now the thing that I know the John Carpenter version from the early '80s, and then they made another one in 2011. Was there another version before? No, no, there was an original in the '50s. The thing from another planet. See, I didn't see that one. So I'm okay, uh, so I can I'm going to say I'm going with the Jeff Goldblum remake of The Fly. I'm going with the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and just because I didn't see the original by default, I'm going to have to go with the John Carpenter version of the thing. Fair enough. Thank you. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Pam is in Brooklyn. Hello, Pam. 
Uh, hi, Frank. I'd like to know what the mechanism is when talk show hosts do their shows from either a hotel room, which I know I've heard Rudy Giuliani do, or from um, their own homes, such as when COVID was here. So what is that whole procedure? How do you tune into the station? What 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 is it that you have in your hotel room that that allows the broadcast? Well, it's a great question. And there are a, a few different ways to do this. They And they range from the great ways to do it to ways that sometimes work to ways that usually work to ways that always work. So if a host is doing a show from home, the absolute best thing they can have is a T1 line. If they have a T1 line, which is pretty rare, only only a handful of hosts these days have it, um, the that will allow them to basically dial into the station on a device and sound like they're here in studio. What used to be the best technology was ISDN, but the phone companies don't install ISDN lines anymore. So unless you already have an ISDN line installed, you're out of luck. Now, what a lot of the hosts, including Rudy Giuliani, do, and, and I've I've used this technology, and I know other people have is use what's called a Comrex access. And what that does, and when it works well, it works great. A lot of folks are doing their show on a Comrex access that you don't even know are doing it on a Comrex access. You might think, um, you know, I worked with John Gambling for two years as his producer. He did almost every one of those shows on a Comrex access. A lot of people thought he was in studio, and he wasn't. He uh, He was in Florida. That basically uses the Internet to connect to the radio station. So that in that instance, the hotel room example you gave, it's probably a hotel room that has uh, high-speed Internet, whether it's plug-in Internet or Wi-Fi, and that Comrex access is able to connect to the station. Now, um, I don't have a Comrex access of my own. I'm hoping to save up for one. They are a little pricey. But um, so we have this technology at our network called Opal, which as long as you have a solid Internet connection, it works pretty well. It's not it's not it doesn't sound quite as crisp as a um, Comrex access, but it sounds it sounds decent. Whenever I have to pre-tape an interview in the middle of the day, if someone like a William Shatner or someone like that that I really want to interview, but it's not available at night or while we're live, I'll use an Opal to um, you know, to tape that. Sometimes people know the difference. Sometimes people don't. But um, that's one of the other ways. So there are a few different ways to do it. But I would say the industry standard is probably a Comrex access or some similar technology. It's a good question, though, Pam. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Jacqueline in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Good morning, Frank. Morning. I actually have two questions, if you will indulge sure. me. The one that I posed to Kenneth, and then a second one. Mm-hmm. My first question is, since you are pretty knowledgeable about politics, you've been involved as an independent in the independent party, can you explain to me why independents and conservatives cannot vote in a primary election? If a candidate is running uh, as a Republican as well as on the independent and conservative line, why can't independents and conservatives vote during the primary, and can that be changed in uh, the state of New York? You know, that and is, then I'll tell you my second question. That is such a good question, um, and I'll, I'll answer that as best I can. So in a lot of states, independents can vote 
in primaries. They call them either open primaries or semi-closed primaries. And uh, there are a lot of states that do allow independents to vote in primaries. New Hampshire, for instance, does. Then uh, some states allow you, if you're an independent, uh, to change that day if you want to vote in that party's primaries. New Jersey is uh, is like that to some extent, but you you don't retain your independence. You become basically a uh, you know a Republican until you change again. But uh, Texas. Missouri, Arkansas, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Wyoming, Montana, all those states, um, they all allow independents to vote in their primaries. So how could it change? It can change in in New York in two ways. One is the way I did it uh, with both the Independence Party and then when Curtis Lewa and I were in the leadership of the Reform Party. A party can very simply pass a rule to allow independents to vote in their party primaries. And I'm actually going to be writing a letter to the new uh, chairman of the state GOP, Ed Cox. And I wrote him this letter when he was the previous chairman and he didn't go for it. But And I wrote his predecessor, Nick Langworthy, a letter and he didn't go for it, urging him to allow independents to vote in Republican primaries. And I've done a lot of commentaries and I've written columns and I've been a big advocate of this for a long time. I think it would be great for the Republicans. I think it would be I think they'd select better candidates, number one. And I also think it would send a message to independent voters that, hey, we want you to participate in our process, because as of now in New York, the Republicans are on kind of a sinking ship. I mean, they did very well in last year's elections and good for them. I want uh, the Republicans and, uh, you know, to do well. I want a bipartisan or better yet a nonpartisan system, but I don't want one party government, which is what we have now. And in New York, uh, so far, the Republicans, uh, even though they've lost election after election, they've lost control of the governor's mansion, every statewide office, most of the leadership of the big cities, most of the key county executive positions, they still won't allow independents to vote in their primary. Now, the Democrats don't either. And the Bernie Sanders people made a big push for that in the in the, when they um, uh, in about three, four years ago. That didn't go really anywhere either. So the parties could change the rule on their own. The other way is for the state legislature to do it. The state legislature, though, benefits everybody that's there now from how the system is now. So something tells me, unless there's a popular groundswell of support, that the state legislature is not terribly eager to make that change. What was your other question, Jacqueline? Well, if you don't mind, before I tell you that, uh, a follow-up based on what you said. So as a registered Republican, which I am, what can I do? Who do I contact to request, as you did, uh, that they make this consideration to make this change? Do Um, I contact the Republican Party? Yes, you would do three things, right? You would... um, you would write to the state chairman, Ed Cox. You would write to whoever your state committee member is in Brooklyn. and for the Republican Party? For the Republican Party. And okay. look, if you find they're not responsive, you could run for state committee yourself and, uh, and on a platform of opening up these primaries. And then I would write to your two state legislators, your assembly member and your senator, just so they hear that there's some groundswell of support in their districts for allowing independents to have a voice voice in the elections that they're paying for. Okay. My second question is, do you know if Dr. Sky is married? <laughs> he is married, uh, but okay. I'm sure he'll oh, appreciate well. your question. You know, he lives in Arizona, so when he's in New York, maybe he's only married when he's in that particular time zone. I'm not saying that's not, the case, but I'll find not, out. Not interested 
in that. Okay, got it. That, that's uh, I'll, I'll double check. Uh, I'm not sure how happily married he was, but uh, last I spoke to him, he was indeed married. That's a great question. 800-848-9222. Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Pete, what's on your mind? Hi, Frank. In your opinion, who are the top three U.S. generals in American history? A great question. I, I mean, there, there are so many good ones, but if I have to pick the three – um, the the three best and uh, you know uh, the three most consequential that made American history what it is. I'm picking um, George Washington. I'm picking Dwight Eisenhower, and I'm picking Ulysses S. Grant. Oh, not bad. I would have picked Matthew Ridgeway for Korea, but the other two are pretty good too. So yeah, well, oh, you would have put you would have put uh, Ridgeway over over which of my three? No, I take Washington first, Grant second, and Ridgeway third. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I mean, the the D-Day invasion is just such a marvel of planning, of strategy. And, you know, I have just a lot of admiration for Ike, so I have a soft spot for him. Thank you, Pete. 800-848-9222. Two open lines if you want to, uh, if you want to try and get in a question in. We're taking questions on a wide variety of subjects Al is in Amityville, home of the Am- Amityville Horror. Hello, Al. That's, uh, yeah, I'm a horror, Frank. I really am. Frank, two things. One on the serious side. I um, Saturday, I was listening to Anthony Weiner, and some uh, meathead called up and said some nasty things about him. Now, don't you have, unless the screener wasn't doing his, his hard job, couldn't they have uh, uh, thwarted that call they, you know, don't they have the time delay where before somebody says something obnoxious, they it don't go on the air? Yes, and uh, I don't know. I didn't hear. I didn't hear that particular exchange. But the both the host and the engineer have a dump button that if you go on a profanity race, a profanity laden tirade, they can press dump, and it would it should dump it out. When I'm going, when I'm talking about it, it's right from jump, excuse the vernacular, right from the beginning. They can't pick it up right away before you can even get a word out. They they have to wait till he says something, and then they can stop it, right? Right. Well, no, because by the time what we're, what the people that are listening to us on the radio right now, Al, are hearing is happening about. 30 seconds after it happened. There's about a 30-second delay between oh. what you and I are saying and what the radio listenership is hearing. So the if you if you say, you know, the N-word or the F-word oh, or whatever right. the case may be. Right, Frank. Frank, I got, Frank, the other thing, too, true story. I went to see The Fly with my girlfriend, and there was some meatheads behind us making a lot of noise. I, this really happened. I turned around to them and I said, you better zip it, guys. You know, zip it. Yeah, fly. yeah. No, <laughs> that's pretty funny, actually. Okay. Uh, it's well done. Okay. Thank you, Al. I appreciate the call. Oh, by the way, I didn't. I neglected to mention that whoever comes up with the best, the most interesting question this hour, as judged by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, or Kenneth, we will give you uh, some piece of other side of midnight merchandise. So make it a good one. Make it a creative one. Make it an interesting one. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two. 22. Rich is in Baltimore. Hello, Rich. What's your question? Yeah, I want to find out about the, uh, what is your take on the FBI today with the corruption and the, uh, 
uh, the FBI corruption in the Hoover years? Uh, well, I think it is I, – I don't want to say it's worse than in the Hoover years because I don't know that the FBI is still blackmailing civil rights leaders and uh, trying to dig up dirt on people that they then use to try and convince them to commit suicide. But I am disgusted, quite frankly, at the behavior and the tactics – of the FBI. And I pin that on mostly the leadership, but also a culture at the at the FBI. I, I find it I find it disgusting, quite frankly. The FBI has had no problem working with some of the most notorious criminals there are. And they've also had no problem demonizing innocent people and publicly embarrassing innocent people when it when it helps their case. I really think there needs to be a sea change at the FBI. And I really think one of the things that I really take issue, and thanks for the call, Rich, one of the things that I really take issue with uh, President Trump for is his appointment of Christopher Wray. He should have known that Christopher Ray was going to be another um, James Comey. He was going to be another Robert Mueller. Just next in a long line of FBI, uh, I don't want to say yes men, but people that go along with that FBI culture. And there, I would have preferred that he would have, and this is, I suggested this publicly at the time on the radio, the man he should have appointed to that job was Ray Kelly. Ray Kelly was the longest serving commissioner in the NYPD. So he has law enforcement experience. He had worked in the Treasury Department. He'd worked in private business. He'd been a Marine. He would be respected by the rank and file. But what the FBI really needed at that time was a fresh set of eyes, a guy that knows how to run an agency, the guy that understands how to navigate around the bureaucracy but a guy that's not beholden to the bureaucracy and the culture there. And that was, I think, one of uh, Trump's worst picks. And that's one of the many faults that I have with the Trump presidency is the poor picks he made in area after area. And uh, Christopher Wray is just one. And I hope that uh, if he's president again or whoever gets elected president next makes a, it makes reforming the FBI a, uh, a real top priority. I'll, I'll just give you one quick example. The one of the most notorious gangsters in the world, and I've done a lot of episodes of the Racket Report on this, so I don't want to belabor the point here, was um, a gangster that was so such a killer, such a murderer by the name of Greg Scarper, the Grim Reaper. And it looks like there was an FBI agent, Lindley DeVecchio, that was actually giving him information about people that he then murdered. An FBI agent, a handler, was helping him commit murders, essentially. And unfortunately, this is not a one-time thing. And by the way, Lindley DeVecchio, that FBI agent, still not in, not in prison, still not convicted, if you could believe that. But you might ask yourself, well, if this guy, uh, Gr- uh, Greg Scarpa, was ratting on all his fellow gangsters, why didn't the gangsters kill him? Well, the gangsters saw that the crimes the crimes Scarpa was committing. And they said, nah, there's no way the FBI would let him go all over the place killing people and still work with him as an informant. So the gangsters actually gave the FBI more credit and held them to a higher ethical standard than they actually deserved to be. And even the judge, when DeVecchio was briefly on trial for murder, the state judge made that observation. The mob 
had more respect for the way the FBI does business than the FBI does. But they did the same thing with Whitey Bulger. They did the same thing with uh, Frankie Blue Eyes Sparacco. And I've seen trial after trial where FBI agents get up there and lie. And um, the perjury is never punished. I find the conduct of the FBI in case after case, incident after instance, disgusting. A great book on this is Snitch, if you want to read it. And I think I'm not an advocate of defunding the FBI. I'm an advocate of wholesale uh, reform of the FBI. And it has to begin with new leadership. Ray Kelly might be a little too old now, but someone like a Ray Kelly or a Bill Bratton, someone that has law enforcement experience, federal experience, but not necessarily experience within that agency. All right, we're going to continue with your questions in a moment. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Well, this is fun uh, for a Friday especially. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We're doing an Ask Frank Anything, and we're trying to get to as many of your calls as possible. You know, I get off on these tangents, and uh, you try and be substantive in answering people's questions, but then you end up getting to less questions. So I'm going to try and keep my answers shorter, and I'd love to try and cover as many different subjects as we can. So if you have questions about movies, um, you know, science fiction, TV programs, or the culture, the workplace, uh, whatever the case may be, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. JR is in Atlanta. Hello, JR. Hey, hi there, Frank. Uh, what a great show. Thank you. Your, uh, Christ, you had a guest on or guest with the uh, young UFO book, UFOs in the Sky, or what What was the name of it, and is it out yet? What uh, Was that this week? Uh, i I believe it was this week. It was a husband and wife team, and uh, oh, oh, were... oh, the Blumenthal's, the yeah, Blumenthal's, yeah. Okay, it, well, okay. so that is it's a children's book, but yes. it's 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 a true. It's based on science. It's a true children's book. It's called UFOs, and and it's spelled UFO H S exclamation point mysteries in the sky it's by deborah and ralph blumenthal um i've not read any of deborah's books but she's a best-selling author many times over for both children and adults and ralph blumenthal is one of the best reporters there is and i did read his previous book about john mack he's a great writer as well he's won a pulitzer he's uh it's i I have a lot of respect for both of them i'm going to get the book for my son i haven't done so yet but i am going to get it 
How's that spelling in a book in UFO H? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 almost like UFOs. UFO HS uh, exclamation point. Oh, okay. okay. And it's available on Amazon. And if you email me, Jr., I'll send you a link. But uh, it's Blumenthal. Just search Ralph Blumenthal, and it comes right up. It looks great, and I- I'm going to get a copy for for Carmine. I think we get paid today, so I'm going to make some of my purchases today. Have you ever been down here in Florida, down by Gulf Breeze? No, I don't think I, I don't think I have. I don't think now, I have. Back back in the uh, late '80s, early '90s, there was that Gulf Breeze incident. And they used to have a – there was a, a builder, a contractor. They accused him of falsifying uh, UFOs and stuff. They found a, a model or something in his attic. But I was down there. We had a UFO club in Atlanta. Oh, really? And uh, we always a big club. There was about 400 of us, a really uh, pretty good-sized pretty good club. Well, we, we went down one weekend. I was down there at the Gulf Breeze, and there was a, there was a lot of uh, UFO people that were at that time down there. And actually, uh, reading the book, the energy field under this space, this vehicle that came across the sky was, as it's described in the book, it had a, it had a uh, yin and yang kind of an orange and black oval underneath the bottom of the spacecraft, or well, this vehicle. It was up there, but you wow. could see the. Yeah, you know, I, I, I haven't been down there. I'm sorry we didn't get to meet when we were when I was in Atlanta, Jar. I would have loved to talk with you more about this. Call again in the future because I want to try and get to some other questions here. But I am familiar with that Gulf Breeze incident. In fact, you know, that's an issue we haven't really explored on this show. We do a lot of Roswell. We've done some of these other incidents. We haven't really done Gulf Breeze. I'll have to look into that or Gulf Breeze. 800-848-9222, whatever you have questions about. Uh, Daniel is in Queens. Hello, Daniel. Hello there, Daniel. Hey, Frank. How's it going? I have an interesting anything I was thinking about reading about. I know you know a bit about New Jersey politics south of Trenton, but the Philadelphia mayoral election, it's one of these ones with the closed primary, so where the Democrat is going to win, and, and it's in May, and there's no front runner. It's it's pretty wild. I was reading about it. There's like four. It could be up for grabs. Yeah, I um I uh, I've been following it a little bit because one of my favorite radio and TV hosts, Michael Smirconish, he's from Philly, so he ends up talking about a lot of uh, Philly politics, and he's very insightful on it. There there are a couple of candidates that I have heard about that I like in that race, but I, I'm not that knowledgeable. I, I like what I mean, and again, I don't live in Philadelphia. Who cares what my opinion is anyway? But I have some family there, especially my favorite second cousin Andrea. I'm going to hopefully check in with her this weekend and see what. Which, which direction? In fact, I'll text her now if she's awake. I like this fella, um, Amen Brown, that young man that's running. And I also like this mm-hmm. this woman that's endorsed by uh, Michael Nutter, who I've got a lot of respect for, and Ed Rendell, who I've got a lot of respect for, Rebecca Reinhardt. Mm-hmm. I think uh, she reminds me of sort of a Catherine Gar- Garcia type. Oh, yeah, yeah, I heard that. I was looking because I also thought Nutter was uh, impressive as far as mayors go. but. I feel like it's a temperature take for Northeast City, too, in a little bit. And, uh, you know, I was reading about all the unions and stuff, and it's, it's even more rivals the complexity of, of, of a New York, you know, yeah. Massachusetts. You know, like I'm, I'm going to look into that race a little bit more because I'm just looking at the candidates now, and there are a lot of interesting candidates in this race. So I am going to look into that. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 800 848 uh, Jay is in New Jersey. Hello, Jay. Hi, Frank. Uh, what's the biggest proof aliens exist? 
I would, uh, you know, I don't know. All right. I mean, I don't know that aliens do exist. Right. I, I, th- I, I look at three things. Um, and when I'm very open, I, I don't know that they're, that aliens do exist, but I look at three things. One, um, the fact the so many documented incidents of UFOs or UAPs on Earth that uh, are genuine. I mean, military pilots seeing this, them appearing in Washington, D.C., essentially over the White House in the 50s, the Roswell incident. Okay, you got that. Then the work of John Mack. I mentioned that Ralph Blumenthal book, which I think is on the money. John Mack was a Harvard psychiatrist who devoted his life, basically, and in part he was kind of discredited because of this, to interviewing people who said that they believed they were abducted by aliens. And he found that the and, – and again, he interviewed, I think, uh, thousands of people, maybe, but certainly hundreds. And he found that these people were not crazy – and they were not making this up, and so uh, that strikes me as uh, pretty compelling uh, as pretty compelling evidence. So you have the photographic evidence, you have the um, you have the John Mack research, and then the last thing. And I'm not saying it means they've come to this planet, but the last thing is just sheer numbers. Space and the galaxy is mammoth. It's almost so big, like they say in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's so big, you can't even understand, you can't even wrap your head around how really big it and gigantic it is. And in addition to that, that's just one galaxy. That's just the Milky Way. Let's talk about the Andromeda and all these other galaxies that are out there. So I think just by sheer numbers, if you look at all the potential space that's out there, and all the, the planets that are out there, I think it's almost naive to assume that we're the only beings, the only intelligent beings anywhere in the universe. Now, it doesn't mean they've come here, but I think it's I think it's very likely if you play in the percentages that they're out there. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. But I'm very, very clear. I don't I have no idea. I, I think it's a fascinating subject. And I think there's. um Ample evidence to show there's been something here. Now, what the something is, I don't know. And whoever comes on this show that's a ufologist, I always try to ask those questions. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Let's see. Uh, John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Um, so my question is, uh, <clears throat> how does one get uh, like a regular American citizen? Is there any way for them to address like the entire Congress? No, no. If you want to address Congress, you'd have to be invited to testify in a uh, in a congressional hearing. There's no paperwork or anything. You're breaking up a little bit, John. Uh, there, there's not. Uh, there's not, as far as I'm aware. But uh, I'm going to let you go because you're breaking up. But you know what? If you develop a, um, if you develop enough of a following on social media, you can reach more people on YouTube than you can speaking in the halls of Congress. But as far as I know, there's no form that you can fill out for three minutes and testify. You can offer to testify if you have expertise on a certain subject. But I know in New York City, for instance, and this might be true in other cities as well, but in New York City, you can sign up and speak 
out on legislation that they're considering. I don't know. I don't think there's something similar on the congressional level, but I could be wrong. I I don't think there is. 800-848-9222. Kevin's in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Yeah, hi, Frank. I know your favorite Star Trek episode is Mirror Mirror, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I want to ask you, if you had a tantalus field, what three people, well, limit to this, like, if in present day, I don't mean personal people in your life, what three people would you push the button to eliminate, like, among a world, people in the world today that you consider would be the world would be better off without? You know, um, I feel like you've asked this question before. I don't think I ever asked you about okay. the Tantalus Field. Well, well, somebody else asked me about the Tantalus Field. Oh, but, did um, they? Oh, okay. Um, it, so it's a good question because, you know, the the tempting thing is always to use it on some sort of evil dictator or something along, uh, you know, along those lines. I'm hesitant to do that because what we saw in – what we see in Egypt, what we see in uh, mm-hmm. Iraq, what we see in place after place where – Libya, where we it's topple backfires. the government, is that the the person that comes in ends up being yeah. worse. So I, I'm hesitant to yeah. do that. I'd want to give that some thought, Kevin, but in general, I don't really want to use a tantalus field on anyone. If, if people haven't seen that episode, Mirror, Mirror, it's a way for – in the mirror universe, the captain to make his enemies essentially go disappear into thin air. It's really it's kind of a cool concept, but it's scary also. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 eight hundred eight four eight ninety two two two. Let's see. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, hi, Frank. Good morning. Uh, you know, Carolyn Bryan from the Emmett Till uh, murder in nineteen fifty five just recently passed away. Mm-hmm. She was never charged. Do you think she was never charged because there was never a smoking gun to implicate her? Well, you know, I don't know. I, I think initially she was never charged because of of racism. I think okay. racism, you know, in the South at that time really had such a stranglehold, especially in Mississippi, on the on the justice system. So I think that was part of it. And I think uh, white people would just assume to have a certain amount of credibility. Now, they tried to reopen that case many years later when uh, more information came out that she sort of made the whole incident up uh, that, uh, you know, that Emmett Till had assaulted her. But I, I think at that point she was already sort of an old lady and there was not much of an appetite on, on the part of local prosecutors for locking up a, an 80-year-old at that point. But I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. One open line if you want to jump on board. We're going to continue with your questions straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Yes, much like Jesse on Saved by the Bell, I am indeed so excited because it's uh, Friday, at least on the East Coast. And uh, I'm getting to do Ask Frank Anything, where you never know what's going to happen. I never know what kind of questions you guys are going to come up with and throw at me. And uh, I love it. I love that element of unpredictability and excitement. I also love the scene in Hot Shots Part 2, where uh, they uh, have that this song in there by the Pointer Sisters. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on this show, join the Facebook group, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Just go to Facebook.com slash group slash Radio Morano. We will put the songs in there after each show. Uh, by the way, I mentioned in the Facebook video that I broadcasted live on, um, I don't know, what day is it today? So today's Friday. Yesterday was Thursday. Uh, Wednesday or Thursday. I have no idea what day it is. I think it was Wednesday. And I mentioned that my friend Danielle suggested the idea of one week doing an Ask Rachel Anything. Well, uh, I'm going to be in Atlantic City on uh, Sunday. And I'm trying to persuade my wife and my mom, who's coming both coming down with me, and we're bringing my son too, to do a live special radio show at 2 p.m. from the WOND, right, on Sunday afternoon. I don't know that they're going to go for this because they probably both want to get back. But um, And I suggested, since Rachel's going to be with me, why don't we do an Ask Rachel Anything? And, Hi, honey. And... This went over like a lead balloon. So she said if she does it, she will only answer pre-approved questions. So if you have a pre-approved – if you have a question that you want to ask Rachel, whatever it is, you can email it to me. Frank – Rachel is my wife if you're a new listener in Memphis Jesus or Frank. Buffalo or wherever else. So you can email it to me at frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's frank, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. And I will send it to Rachel for her consideration. No guarantee that she'll answer it. And um, no guarantee that we'll even do a show on, on Sunday afternoon because we all have to get back to our lives. All right. This is uh, a very special edition of The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask- Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Uh, What are your questions? Let me say hello to Brandon in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hi, Frank. Um, You're always asking your listeners to leave something to you in their will. Well, what if somebody left everything to you in their will, but it also included a child? Oh, well, I mean, that would be a lot of responsibility. Um, I I don't know. Uh, I think... Um, I, 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 I don't know that I'm, I'm barely equipped to take care of my, my own child. I'm not sure I could handle another child. I don't know. I'd have to have a conversation with my wife and depending on how old my son was, my son at the time and to see if it was, um, someone that we knew and what the circumstances were. I guess the best answer is, and I know it's a lame answer, but the best answer is it depends. We'd have to see what the, uh, what the story is. All right. Uh, Joel is in Manhattan. Hello, Joel. Hi, uh, it's kind of a sci-fi, actually slash religion uh, question. If it was irrefutable proof tomorrow that aliens existed, how would that, how do you think that would affect religion? And a follow-up on that as well, kind of a parallel, but not quite the same. If if uh, religion admitted tomorrow that hell was just a made-up thing, 
how do you think that would affect people attending churches? Well, let me answer your second question first. I I think the the way that you're the the way that you're ascribing the, the way that you're saying religion. If religion decided the that hell was just a, a made up thing, I uh, I don't think I don't think religion works not i don't think religion doesn't work that way a whole there are hundreds maybe thousands of different dogmas out there all of which believe different things so i i if you had every organized religion in the world say that there's no hell i think that would be an incredibly rare unifying moment in the history of uh, of human civilization. So I think that could potentially be a very good thing. And there are a lot of religions that don't make a big thing about hell. You know, um, Unitarians, such as they are, they're not really into hell. I don't think Scientologists, such as they are, are... Um, are into hell. I don't think uh, I don't think Judaism is that big into hell. Although I, I stand mm-hmm. to be uh, corrected on that. Your other question, and thank you for the call, Joel. Your other question about aliens and religion is something I've thought a great deal about, and I don't know the answer, but I think it would cause a lot of theologians, depending on the religion to reinterpret scriptures to accommodate these new discoveries. But, um, you know, I think a lot of the things that are described in the Bible, for instance, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, sound a lot like UFOs. And I think maybe you'd see a lot of uh, scriptural scholars say, you know what, that probably was a UFO. But a survey of people with many different religious beliefs indicated that their faith would not be affected by the discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence. And I tend to I think that's the case. Another study conducted by Ted Peters of the Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, and take it for what it's worth because they're eating meat during Lent on Fridays, shows that most people would not consider their uh, religious beliefs superseded by it. So I don't know that it would have that much of an effect. To be honest, 800-848-9222, Let me say hello to Marie on Long Island. Hello, Marie. Good morning, everybody. I can't believe he didn't say Lincoln as a president. But anyway, he said generals, generals. I'm sorry. See, and I'm up. Anyway, my question is, if you were given a job opportunity, the opportunity job of a lifetime, and I know you love your job now, Frank. I know that. But if it was for NPR to be, and and, and the salary was going to be 50000 more, I don't know what you make. It's none of my business. But if you were to give a job there and they were going to give you $50,000 more, would you take it? Well, I mean, it would depend on what the <laughs> offer was, what the type of show was. But the answer I mean, look, if I was unemployed, then of course I was. I would. But but if the choice is continuing doing what I'm doing now or take a $50,000 raise and go to NPR or somewhere else, the answer is no um, for two reasons. One, I love what I'm doing now. This is what I've always dreamed of doing. You don't really aspire f- uh, for your dream uh, just to do something that's similar but not as good. And the other thing is nothing against NPR. But if you listen to their shows – they really don't do shows like this. They they don't do shows that are heavy into opinion. I mean, Brian Lear does a show on an NPR affiliate uh, that's sort of like this, but that's even a little dry. You know, they don't do shows where they um, 
ask people what their favorite type of pen is and have them call in and then in the next breath go into a UFO discussion and then in the next minute go into a discussion about ranked choice voting and then the next minute after that have a whole Tucker Carlson discussion. I mean, there's not a show on NPR that does that. And so I don't think I'm necessarily their cup of tea. But, um, you know, look, there's a lot of NPR stations around the country. If they want to take this show, we're syndicated now. They're certainly welcome to. More and more stations are signing on every week, it seems like. 800-848-9222. If you have a question, we're doing Ask Frank Anything. Still a prize to be awarded in approximately seven minutes to whoever comes up with the best, the most interesting, the most creative question. Igor is in New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, uh, Frank, who do you think is more employable right now? Tucker Carlson or Don Lemon? How long do you think it's going to take the stink to wear off each of them before they get another job offer? Well, I, I think the answer is absolutely Tucker Carlson. I mean, he had so many more viewers. So I think almost any network, honestly, including maybe some of the, the left of center ones, would love to have those three million viewers every day. I think any radio network in the country would love to have him do radio. Um, and I honestly, with Don Lemon, I don't really see what his talent was. And again, it's, I'm not being dismissive. I don't, I'm not trying to be insulting at all. But I don't see what he was good at. Uh, I don't know what value he would bring to any network. Now, let's say News Nation were to hire him. Would you see two and a half million people flock to News Nation and say, Oh, my goodness, we've got to see the, the lemon tree tonight. We can't believe what Don Lemon's going to say. No, no one would say that. It would have zero effect on viewership at any network. Now, Tucker Carlson is a different story. If they were to replace Chris Cuomo or uh, Dan Abrams with uh, with Tucker Carlson on News Nation or Ashley Banfield, forget about it. They would instantly become the most watched network in prime time in cable news. He's a game changer, and there's only a handful of game changers in not just media, but every business. It would be like when Hulk Hogan went to WCW or when the Mets got Mike Piazza or the Yankees got Babe Ruth or, you know, any any example from from sport or when uh, Howard Stern went to Sirius XM, Tucker Carlson right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about Tucker next hour. I think he has the ability to make a network single handedly. So I think he's in a very strong position, honestly. Thank you, Igor. 800-848-9222. David is in Baltimore. Hello, David. Yeah, yeah, Frank, uh, like just a quick question. Uh, in my case, remember uh, Lucy the Elephant? Is that still there? And not only is it still there, I just recently interviewed Richard Heliphant, who runs the Lucy the Elephant exhibit, and he was our man of the year at New Year's Eve Eve uh, last December. And if uh-huh. the weather is nice, I'm hoping to take my son there uh, either today or tomorrow. Uh, if the weather's not nice, maybe we'll go to an indoor pool or something. But, yeah, it's still there. It just got a fresh renovation thanks to a concert, a benefit concert that Dina Martin put on. It's doing great. It looks great. It's got a great website. There are great pictures on there. Got a great gift oh. shop. They do tours. And uh, if you're ever in Margate, I definitely recommend checking it out. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Philadelphia. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. Hey. Okay, so I have this question, right? I'm always wondering why we're not tracking the cell phone activity from the people that are doing flash mobs and, you know, like January 6th or something like this, where we 
we know that the FBI is using these cell phone or the cell phone information for users. Why are we using it to uh, to track down these people that are looting our WalMarts and breaking up our stores? And you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I don't have a good answer. I mean, I would think that um, part of it might be a difficulty in identifying certain people. Part of it might be because some of the people that are identifiable might be using um, uh, burner phones or things like that. But I would think in this day and age, with the level of surveillance that we're that we have these days, that we we would uh, be able to do that. I don't have a good answer to that. Next law enforcement professional that we have on this show, I will ask that very question. 800-848-9222. Mike is in Woodside. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. You think it's going to work where they're going to try and stop World War III from happening in the South China Sea by using uh, these uh, fishing trips, beach blanket, bingo, uh, tourism, uh, beauty pageants, the Philippines and some of the other countries are doing that right now, bring tours out where you can go out, go swimming, you know, go out to these islands, which is basically like being in the middle of the Korean DMZ, right? And, and they're bringing out all these trips out there. In fact, there's something going on right now <laughs> with a confrontation between the Chinese and the Philippines. But right now they're doing this, and they're bringing all these people out there. And do you think that type of thing will work, doing ecotourism, bringing more people out there? And, so, and so Mike, the I, I, of this place? I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure I understand the question. Well, the question is, do you think it'll work to prevent World War III from breaking out in the South China Sea? by bringing in more tourists, by bringing in more people to uh, show the beauty of the place so it's not destroyed? That's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I, I think ultimately if there's a World War Three, it's going to – I think all the leaders of all these countries – thank you. And I'm hoping to get into this in uh, about two hours with uh, Dmitry Babich from Voice of Russia. But um, the leaders of all these countries would never intentionally engage in a World War Three. If there's to be a World War III uh, among nuclear-armed powers, it's going to be the result of an escalation gone wrong or an accident. And uh, both of those are very possible. And um, I don't think it's going to be – I don't think you'd have a situation where, okay, if more tourists start visiting Southeast Asia, you start seeing, oh, we don't really want to go to war with these people. I don't think that. Because I don't think most Americans or the most rank-and-file Chinese, to be honest – want World War Three, anyway. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's my take on that. All right, I'm going to squeeze in one more here. Uh, let's see. JT is in Canada. Hello, Canada. Hello, JT. Yes, good evening, Reverend Ronaldo Romano. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. What's, what's your question? I want to ask you, are you going to do any uh, racket report on the uh, mafia in Buffalo? You know, I'm actually working. Uh, yeah, I'm actually working on something right now. Uh, there's a very good, um, very good book about the the Buffalo mob, and I've been re- doing some outreach in terms of. I haven't gotten a confirmation on this yet, but yes, it is in the works. I will do something. It is a, a fascinating, fascinating situation there. Sometimes they call it the arm. Sometimes they call it the upstate New York mafia. Sometimes they call it the Tadaro crime family. But it's uh, fascinating nonetheless. All right. Um, we have a best question consensus. Joel Manhattan, Aliens and Religion. Joel in Manhattan, call back. We will give you a prize. Uh, call back at 800-848-9222. If, uh, like I said, if you want to try and submit a question to my wife, you can email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. It's frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. Coming up in a moment, we got something really fun. Not sure what it is yet, but it's going to be fun. 
to be continued. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I'll tell you what I found to be the least shocking headline of the day. Pentagon officials are saying we are a better country now that Tucker Carlson is off the air. Officials at the Pentagon are cheering the departure from prime time of Fox News host Tucker Carlson, who frequently took aim at the U.S. military over their diversity policies, the war in Ukraine, and lack of accountability to the American people. Um, Speaking to Politico, one senior Department of Defense official told Politico on conditions of anonymity, we're a better country without him bagging on our military every night in front of hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, the reason I found this to be the least surprising headline is because the Pentagon would love to basically threaten to go to war with every country there is. Because they would love the increase in defense budgets that come with threatening to go to war with every country there is. Additionally, a lot of people that are colonels and generals working in the uniform now, they want to be able to go to a defense contracting board and make a lot of money. They also want to be able to go on cable news and get paid to do that. They also want to be able to go to a think tank and get paid to do that. So Tucker Carlson, and this is why my wife did not hear me reference this the other day when I talked about this. She reminded me, even though I I had already repeated it on air, when Tucker Carlson gave his commentary yesterday about how the big issues simply aren't being discussed on cable news, she reminded me, do you remember you said to me a couple of years ago that you can't believe this guy's on TV? I said, yes. In fact, I said that on the radio. Because Tucker Carlson is the greatest threat, was the greatest threat, at least when he was on cable news, To business as usual, there is, whether it's the defense industrial complex, whether it's Wall Street control of everything, whether it's the two-party duopoly that runs things in Washington, whether it's the multinational corporations that benefit from free trade and cheap labor that comes here through illegal immigration, Tucker Carlson would rail in a manner, very consistent manner, against all those things, and nobody else Nobody else on cable news, especially not in prime time, is is consistently saying that you have a lot of people, not a lot of people, but you have a few people opposed to the war in Ukraine. But a lot of those same people are ready to go to war with China over Taiwan. Tucker was very consistent. No war with China, no war with Russia. And it's not a surprise to me that um, these Pentagon officials are cheering his firing because it's Howard Beale all over again. Tucker was Howard Beale. 
He was speaking for, and I think this is one of the reasons he commanded such a large audience. He was speaking for us, the voiceless. And now we have no voice, at least not on cable news. When asked by the outlet, Politico, to respond to Pentagon officials' cheers over his departure, Carlson told Politico by text message, Ha! I'm sure. And he had the same reaction I did. The first senior Department of Defense official that Carlson said Carlson made a mockery of the free press and repeatedly cherry-picked department policies and used them to destroy the Department of Defense as an institution. Carlson frequently took aim at military leadership on the show, including Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley. Carlson called for his firing after a direct order from the Mil- from Milley read, if Donald Trump refuses to leave office, the U.S. military must remove him by force, and you must give that order. Carlson slammed Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin uh, for his comment two years ago that white people are part of the problem. Well, I mean, that's a pretty important thing to criticize him about. He spoke out against the firing of a Space Force commander who was let go after voicing concerns about uh, Marxism in the armed forces and critical race theory. Carlson also blasted the use uh, the Pentagon's use of an inclusion board to lower training standards. Now, I'm not saying that all of this I agree with him on, but I am saying that when no one else is willing to say it, it's important to have someone that's willing to say it. On Monday morning, we learned that when they when they parted ways, Fox stock plummeted 5%, wiping out $930 million in market value following the news of the popular primetime host's exit. Here's a little bit of um, – and by the way, and that was not one Pentagon official that spoke to Politico. A second one told Politico, good riddance. So the Pentagon is popping champagne today. Yeah, here's a little bit of Tucker Carlson reacting to the Afghanistan withdrawal. Let's say you had deep animus against the United States. Let's say you hated the country and you wanted to permanently knock the U.S. from its perch as the preeminent world power and then degrade and humiliate America for good. You might use Afghanistan to do that. And if you wanted to, here's what you might do. First, you would delay your withdrawal from Afghanistan for 19 years, long after there was any national security justification for being there. You would turn a war into a welfare program, and you would turn your military into an NGO. That would humiliate everyone involved. You would spend trillions of dollars to do this, but you would be absolutely certain to get nothing in return for that money, apart from dramatically increasing local corruption and making opium poppies the national crop. As the occupying power, you would run Afghanistan so badly with such unbelievable stupidity and overbearing arrogance that by the end, much of the population would yearn for the return of brutal religious extremists. Then when it was finally time to go, you would ignore the relevant details of the withdrawal. You wouldn't plan your exit. You would just hope for the best. What could go wrong in a country controlled by the Taliban? When crowds of desperate people showed up, as they inevitably would, begging to be evacuated, you'd be certain to give preference to the foreign nationals, the ones who might hate you and prefer Sharia law to democracy. They would get the first seats on the plane. As for your own citizens, the people you exist to protect, well, you just wish them luck and leave them behind. You wouldn't even bother to get all of their names because really, who cares? Then having done all of that, you would go on television back in your own country to brag about what an amazing job you'd done. 
you'd call yourself a hero. You'd compare your evacuation of Kabul to the Berlin airlift. And that way, once you've done that, the rest of the world would know you're not simply incompetent and weak, but you're also delusional. You are a lunatic with no self-respect. Having learned all that, your enemies just might conclude that now is the perfect time to take advantage of your diminished condition. And today in Kabul, they did just that. That is the kind of thing you would hear from Tucker every day. And I can't imagine why the Pentagon is happy that he's gone. As I said, that is the least surprising um, headline that I've seen. I mean, as I've said, the thing that did Tucker in was not using the C word. It was not saying controversial things um, about Fox's bosses and text messages. It was not uh, anything to do with this Dominion suit. It was not the fact that advertisers stayed away from his show. The thing that did Tucker in is... Three million people a night were listening to him bash the people that run the world. And the people that run the world uh, don't like to be bashed and don't like their their jig being exposed. You know, there was a report that came out this week and has been on my list all week. Global military spending hit two point two four trillion dollars last year. Two point two four trillion dollars. Now. There's a lot to be concerned with that number because with all these countries, all these continents ramping up their military spending, we saw what happened when there were too many troops in the field on the eve of World War One. Didn't end up in a good place for Europe, certainly didn't end up in a good place for the world. But let's put that aside. When we say global military spending, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means that money is going somewhere. That money, whether it's spent by Germany, France, China, Russia, the United States, you name it, that money is going somewhere. And it's going into someone's pocket. And it's going into the pocket of defense contractors, whether they're American or foreign or whatever the case may be. It's going into the pocket of people that make weapons and bombs. And... The people that have that $2.2 trillion, that's in one year, by the way. Imagine what it's going to be this year. The people that have that $2.2 trillion, they don't want Tucker saying the kind of thing that he was saying every night. They don't want me saying what I'm going to be saying when I'm speaking at the Occupy Peace Rally on May 27th. Now, the difference is we're not going to have 3 million people there. I would love to have 3 million people, but I don't think we're going to. Tucker did, basically. Every night. So if you tick off a millionaire, you better watch out. If you tick off a billionaire, you really better watch out. But if you tick off a combined trillionaire, which is what Tucker Carlson did with his daily diatribes against the military industrial complex, then you have you're you've got a giant target on your back. And I think that's precisely what happened here. All right. You want to comment on that? You can. Otherwise, I'm going to move on because I got a lot of stuff to get to here. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Shortly after President Biden announced his reelection bid on Tuesday, the Republican National Committee countered with a video of its own offering a pretty predictable message. Four more years of Biden would be bad for the country. But the production was anything but old school. I'm going to play it for you, and then I'll give you a little bit more information about this. Listen to this. This 
just in, we can now call the 2024 presidential race for Joe Biden. This morning, an emboldened China invades Taiwan. Financial markets are in free fall as 500 regional banks have shuttered their doors. Border agents were overrun by a surge of 80,000 illegals yesterday evening. Officials closed the city of San Francisco this morning, citing the escalating crime and fentanyl crisis. Who's in charge here? It feels like the train is coming off the tracks. Now, in a lot of ways, that sounds like a pretty standard ad. You have to see it, though. And I'm going to link to it in a minute at uh, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. But that is anything but old school. That 30-second spot, which envisions this dystopian future during a second Biden term, was built entirely with AI imagery. As far as I know, that's the first presidential political ad ever to be produced by entirely by artificial intelligence. So images that the RNC said were AI-generated follow along with fake reports of what sound like news reports. So this unusual disclaimer appears in the upper left corner of the ad. It says, built entirely with AI imagery. Now, these sort of political ads are likely to become a whole lot more common as AI technology gets better and better and as people get used to using it and as people, you know, don't want to spend money on fancy, you know, uh, artwork or other things. The RNC said it used the approach to look into the country's possible future if Biden's reelected in 2024. AI language models and image generators have become increasingly accessible over the past year. I do something with ChatGPT or one of these digital art AI creating websites almost every day. Mostly it's just messing around, right? But this results in a whole bunch of realistic-looking fake visuals accompanying major news events. So campaigns eager to stay on the cutting edge have been testing out these tools dabbling with prompts for speeches in the style of certain politicians, enhancing fundraising pitches with AI-generated art. To date, the RNC ad that you just heard, and which I'm going to link to in a minute on my uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash MoranoFan, that ad um, is, to date, this represents the most explicit use of technology for political messaging. And I think um, we're in a new era when it comes to campaign messaging and political spending and the like. So, and I'm not sure it's for the better. Um, If you want to see it, I just link to it, facebook.com slash Morano fan. But people are going to be doing a lot more of this. So we'll see where it goes. Um, Now, meantime, on the AI front... I don't know how I missed this. This was everywhere in January, apparently, in a viral video, but I guess I missed it. I don't know. But there's this deep fake video, which I'm also going to link to on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Moranovan. It's called Not Morgan Freeman. And it uses a video that looks a lot like Morgan Freeman. And it uses um, a voice that sounds very much like Morgan Freeman. So if you if you haven't heard it, this is what it sounds like, but visually it's even more frightening. I am not Morgan Freeman, and what you see is not real. Well, 
At least in contemporary terms, it is not. What if I were to tell you that I am not even a human being? Would you believe me? What is your perception of reality? Is it the ability to capture, process, and make sense of the information our senses receive? If you can see, hear, taste, or smell something, does that make it real? Or is it simply the ability to feel? I would like to welcome you to the era of synthetic reality. Now, what do you see? I just put this video up on my Facebook page as well, facebook.com slash Moranofan. This is really frightening. So have you ever wondered whether someone could make a digital replica of you so real that even you would be confused when the video was recorded? I mean, what if you what if you had a you know, we've already seen a lot of digital recreations of actors that have passed in commercials and in movies. But what does this mean for the future of movies? Why not create a digital um, Morgan Freeman to have him just keep acting posthumously. I think they're doing that with James Earl Jones's voice as Darth Vader now. And I just I worry not only about the future for artists, but I, I think there could be a lot of ramifications of this that are very frightening. So, again, I don't want to harp on this all the time, but I am incredibly ambivalent about this. I find this very exciting. I find it very fascinating. I'm very interested in this, but I really am very frightened by this. Let me just mention this. The um, I had this on my list yesterday, and I'm just going to mention it because we have no guests this hour. I, I have an opportunity to finally go through a few of these these things as quickly as possible. Here, the World Health Organization is warning, and I'll tell you, this is something that. I find pretty concerning of a biological hazard after one of the two warring factions in Sudan captured a national health lab containing samples of measles, cholera and polio, among other pathogens. Well, if this is not something to be concerned about, I don't know what is in the middle of a war in Sudan. They have gotten a hold of this lab with all of these diseases in it, many of which can spread pretty quickly. So um, I don't know what you can do about this, but you've been warned. One of the things I'd make sure you do is have your measles vaccine. Don't, and if you have a child, make sure he gets the measles vaccine or she or they. All right, 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. Hey, Frank. Hey, Robert. Will you ask Dr. Mikolos to weigh in on the Katz and Cosby show whether Al- Biden may have Alzheimer's? I had an uncle who had Alzheimer's, and my mother was part-time caregiver. And uh, Biden has exhibited all the same things that he did. 
Yeah, you lose I, I your mean, associations in brain to right. people, places, things, events, faces, memories. Right. Thank you, Robert. You know, Dr. Mikolos listens to this show almost every night, and if he wants to call in, he's welcome to, 800-848-9222. Usually he texts me in the middle of a subject. So, Dr. Mikolos, if you want to weigh in, you can text me. You can call in, 800-848-9222. I'm very reluctant to have doctors weigh in, especially on TV and radio, on people they haven't examined. I really think it's impossible to make a judgment on whether or not what someone's psychological condition is or health condition is just based on seeing TV reports. And I know everyone does this in the in the era of cable news, but I, I think it's I think it's ridiculous, quite frankly. I think, you know, especially something like Alzheimer's, which has a lot of physical characteristics as well as mental ones. Uh, or psychological ones, I think that's something that you really need. You can only tell if you're examining someone. I don't think you can tell just based on watching press conferences or a couple of interviews personally. But I'll tell you why. And this is one of the reasons I think Biden should debate his Democratic primary opponents. So far, the DNC is not indicating they're planning to have any debates. There's a lot of concerns about Biden's uh, cognitive ability, not just on the right, but the New York Times, New York Times which endorsed Biden in the general election, they um, they have said that Biden should take a cognitive cognitive tax. So uh, this is the editorial. This is from the New York Times editorial board six days ago. Biden should take voters concerns about age seriously. And one of the things that they recommend is that he should take a cognitive test. So I think he should and make the results public. So, I mean, again, uh, this is not a partisan thing, but as far as getting doctors, even someone as, as, as smart and accomplished as Dr. Mikolos to weigh in on someone's health that they haven't examined, I, I don't think that's – I think – I don't see where that goes, honestly. All right, 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on anything we have discussed thus far, you're welcome to. Coming up next hour, we are scheduled to go to Russia. But, uh, you know, I got a weird email from the person that we're scheduled to talk to, Dmitry Babich, who I'm not sure if he's cl- – I'm not sure if we're on the same page right now. So I'm hoping we're going to go live to Russia next hour, but I can't guarantee that. I'll tell you what we are going to do. Two hours from now, after the $1,000 minute, we are going to talk with Debbie Schlussel. I got a lot of things that I want to ask Debbie Schlussel about. Legal stuff, political stuff, all sorts of things. And uh, can't wait to talk to her. Uh, We'll take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. Denunciations coming up in 30 minutes or so. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Um, I'll tell you, this song, Dreams by the Cranberries, I've heard this song before, and I like it. It's a great song. But I'll tell you what, uh, and I wasn't going to talk about this today, uh, but uh, why, what the heck? We, we get, and especially because I'm not sure if the guest that we're supposed to talk to in an hour, Dimitri Babich, is going to be here or not. So we may have more time today to just chat than I thought we would. But I really love this show. I've talked about it so often. Uh, Ted Lasso. And my wife and I watched the most recent episode last night. And this is the song that plays in the very first scene. I have to tell you, this show might be one of my favorite shows of all time. The uh, Again, last night, in last night's episode, I, I found my... The, the, I mean, I know it came out Wednesday night, but my wife and I watched it yesterday. I found myself crying. And I am not a guy that cries easily. At least I used to be. Now I, I, I cry much more frequently. But the, I have never seen a show that so consistently manages to be funny and to really touch upon every single human emotion. I, I don't want to get into any of what happened yesterday. But whether you're talking about romantic relationships, whether you're talking about workplace relationships, whether you're talking about um, uh, the the role of mentorship, whether you're talking about the role of restaurants, it's just, I don't know how this show pulls it off, but it so captures, and it's silly, the plots are silly, the dialogue is silly, the situations are silly, but it so manages to capture perfectly everything that humans are capable of feeling. I mean, if pre-emotion chip data or Mr. Spock ever watched Ted Lasso, um, forget about it. It would melt their programming. And, and you know, especially having a son now, and um, there, there, a lot of aspects of the episode we watched yesterday deal with fathers and sons. And that's a common theme on this show. But the the... Uh, you know, it wasn't even a sad scene, but there's a very there's two very dramatic scenes involving um, a, a father and son in this episode we just watched. And I don't know if I was picturing, you know, my own son and, you know, my relationship with him in the future or picturing my relationship with my father as it exists now or it's existed previously. But I found myself crying and I've really never seen a show like this is really so terrific so, uh, and this was the first song that they played in the show. And that's the other thing with this show. In addition to the acting being great, in addition to the writing being terrific, in addition to it being shot beautifully, the, its use of music is so brilliant. And that was one of the songs that they uh, that they used. Hey, did you see the most recent episode, Mr. Uh, Matt Place? I have not. You have not? Watch okay. Watch it today. Yeah, well, let me know what you think of it as well. All right, we're going to take your calls in a moment. One thing I do want to touch upon <clears throat> is... You know, one of the things that I do with my son is about four, five, six times a day, we read Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, like me, who I have to hear the same soundbite over and over and over again. I get obsessed with soundbites. He gets obsessed with reading the same books over and over again. So there are about four books that we read repeatedly. He's got hundreds of books. That's not an exaggeration. Hundreds uh, of books. And yet there are four that he wants to read again and again and again and again. And uh, one of them is Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And you're familiar with the story. 
But so much of the story involves these bears thinking, oh, someone's sleeping in my bed. Someone's been eating my porridge. Well, last, I want to say over the last week or so, I have come into work. Now, we all have lockers that we put our stuff in. And I keep my water bottle in there. I keep my bell in there. I keep my megaphone in there. I keep uh, a couple of books in there, some mail, a phone charger, uh, a coffee mug that I'm now mostly using for tea. And most important, I keep my headphones in there, which, you know, one of the things that, I don't want to get into a headphone discussion, but I keep my headphones in there and they have my name on them, Frank. So I've noticed over the last week or so, a couple of times I've come to work and my locker's open. And I think, huh, possible that I didn't lock it? Maybe it's so overloaded with stuff uh, that even when I pressed the combination in, it didn't latch. And so yesterday when I came in, the day before, I made sure to lock it, press it closed, sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. And I came in yesterday. It was fine. It It was locked, and I unlocked it. Today, or technically last night, a few hours ago, I come in. It's open. Now, I know I locked that yesterday when I left. I know it. I'm positive. I think someone is going in there and using my stuff, probably my headphones. But I don't, I'm not crazy about the fact of someone using my headphones. I don't know who's using them. I don't know uh, what the sanitization process of these headphones is being used. I don't know if they're twirling the wires or mistreating these headphones in some way. I've had these headphones for years. They're expensive headphones. And, you know, I don't mind sharing anything that I have, but I'd like to at least know what's going on. And if someone does need to borrow my headphones, I would hope that they would ask permission. But I do think someone is... Going into my locker, who has my combination, which, uh, you know, I guess it's not that inconceivable, and taking my headphones. So I want to I do one of two things. One, I want to either start taking my headphones home with me and see if my locker still gets unlocked. Or I want to do something where... I can get the last laugh on uh, whoever's taking my headphones. I don't know that I want to go to the trouble of setting up a camera in that locker to see who's doing it, but maybe I could have one of those things. You remember when you'd open a can of plant of nuts and, and snakes would pop out? Maybe I could do that. So when they open this locker, snakes pop out at them, and at least they're exposed for trying to pilfer my headphones. So if you have a suggestion on that front, let me know. That's 800-848-9222. You know anything about this, uh, Matt Place? I don't know which is your locker. I don't even go near the lockers. Mm -hmm. I don't use your headphones, obviously, because we're here at the same time. But, yeah, if you want to booby trap the locker, I'd put that blue dye stuff that pops out. And they used to say, like, if you or like rob a bank and there's the blue dye in the bags and it bursts open and they get stuck with that blue dye, then you know who it is. Well, where do I get that blue dye? I don't have to find it online somewhere. I'm sure somebody right. Well, that, that might be an option. Uh, that might be an option. You, don't, you haven't heard anything about this, Mr. Kenneth, have you? I have not. You I... know, you, I, I just, I think what may happen is on, on some shows when they have guests or something, 
they go in there when they need a pair of headphones for whoever need whoever needs something, and yet and they don't put it back. I yes. think that's what's going on. A lot of people do do that. I typically just go right in there where you're sitting if there's spare headphones and use those. Yeah, I don't go searching through someone's locker to get their own personal headphones mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. It, but don't you have to have a combination? Like- yes, that's why. I mean, maybe there's a master combination for all the lockers that that somebody has. But I don't know why they're taking my headphones without even forget about permission. Well, let me know. You know, uh, just letting you know we're taking your headphones. They're being used responsibly. Uh, they're being sanitized after you, you're you're done with them. We're not giving them to someone with leprosy or COVID or both. And uh, thank you for the for the privilege. Right? I mean, nothing. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. I want to thank um, Mediaite. Mediaite picked up on that interview that we did with uh, Brian Kilmeade yesterday. You know, I was actually shocked at how open Brian Kilmeade was about talking about the Tucker Carlson situation and the situation at, uh, at Fox News. And both um, Media Matters for America, which is sort of a left-wing media watchdog group, and Mediaite, which covers the media, they picked up on uh, Brian Kilmeade and his criticism of Steve Bannon, and Mediaite linked to our show, which was very nice. Uh, So I appreciate that. If you want to see the article they did, the write-up they did, you can go to my Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Lorraine is on Long Island. Hello, Lorraine. Yes, good morning, Frank. Morning. I was just going to suggest that that guy that uh, burst, but your uh, co-worker there mentioned it before I did. But I did want to ask you a question. Do you think um, Tucker will go to Newsmax? I don't. Uh, someone brought that up yesterday. And, um, you know, I know the folks at Newsmax and they're, they're good people, but uh, I don't think they will, that, that he will because his editorial view of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine that is staunchly opposed to where Newsmax is. Newsmax has been an even bigger cheerleader of this uh, war in Ukraine than um, than than uh, Fox News has. So I don't think for that reason, but also he doesn't need to. I think he could do what O'Reilly's doing or Glenn Greenwald or Joe Rogan or Megyn Kelly and go totally independent and have just as many viewers and make more money. So I, I think that, um, you know, it's not as if you go to Newsmax and you have two million viewers a day uh, automatically. You're still in 60 percent fewer households than you were with Fox News. So I don't think he will. What I could see him doing is maybe producing his show independently the way O'Reilly does. And some of the conservative networks, maybe the first, maybe, uh, I don't even know if One America News is still around, but maybe OAN or Newsmax might carry the programming that that he's producing independently. But I don't see him going to Newsmax. I'm sure Chris Ruddy would love it. I'm supposed to see Chris Ruddy at the uh, Talkers Conference. So if, uh, if I do see him, I'll ask him about it. But I, I don't see it happening. It doesn't mean it wouldn't, but I, I just I don't see it happening. Hey, by the way, I want to encourage you to uh, check out the latest edition of The Racket Report. The Racket Report is a podcast I do uh, that deals with organized crime issues. And my latest Racket Report deals with the Jewish mob. And I interviewed author Alan Geick, the author of the new book, Uncle Charlie Killed Dutch Schultz, 
the Jewish mob, a family affair. And Alan Geich is a great storyteller. So I asked him about Dutch Schultz, who he was and why he was such a big deal. Listen to this response. Dutch Schultz, a lot of people know him as a legendary gangster figure, but they may not know much beyond just a name. Who was Dutch Schultz? Well, his real name was Arthur Flegenheimer. He was one of the mob bosses in the 1920s going into the 1930s. Uh, he had a lot of uh, rackets in Harlem. He was one of the uh, people who basically took the uh, numbers racket over in Harlem uh, from uh, the local people who were uh, uh, running it up until that time. He was also big into uh, everything that was going on at the time, uh, bootlegging. And uh, one of his, what made him different than some of the others was that he really couldn't, he was really an outsider with organized crime as it was becoming, um, uh, as it was developing. And he, uh, he, was a, um, uh, he was a target of the governor of New York, and they wanted him, and they got a very young uh, prosecutor named uh, Thomas Dewey, uh, who had just finished prosecuting another mobster, and they were going after him, and he wanted to kill Tom Dewey. But that was so bad for business. The uh, people running uh, uh, organized crime at the time, specifically Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, and several of the others, they wanted it. Uh, they would never permit that. That would have brought them all down. So uh, they wound up taking out Dutch Schultz himself. Fascinating conversation. Uh, please, if you haven't already heard it, Go to redapplepodcastnetworks.com. I know a lot of people are looking for something to listen to and we're not on on the weekend. And please search the Racket Report. You can also just search the Racket Report on any uh, and any podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, whatever the case may be. Search the Racket Report with Frank Morano and hit the subscribe button and you'll automatically get that podcast downloaded to your phone. So our newest affiliate, uh, very proud to be on this station, News Talk Memphis, the Mighty 990, KWAM, or as they say down south, KWAM. Uh, they're a great station. They got great local programming. They have great national programming. A lot of great hosts on there. Uh, Rita Cosby is terrific. Todd Starnes, Bill O'Reilly, a lot of great folks. Earl Farrell. Uh, but when I think of Memphis, I only think of one person, and that is the king of Memphis wrestling, Jerry the King Lawler. Now, Jerry the King Lawler is an incredible guy. Those of you in the 70s that watched the David Letterman program, or might have been even in the, I think it was late 70s, early 80s, may remember his feud with Andy Kaufman. Uh, those of you that saw the movie Man on the Moon in the late 90s might see, might remember how that was recreated with with Jim Carrey in that Andy Kaufman role. The guy was a phenomenal wrestler who has wrestled every great wrestler of the 20th century. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Every great wrestler has at one time come through Memphis and wrestled Jerry Lawler. So Jerry Lawler, through his USWA promotion in Memphis, was the promoter. He was also the lead babyface. Now picture 
Hulk Hogan, as big as he was, as much of a fan favorite as he was, that's what Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler, because he's the king of Memphis wrestling, that's what he was in the Memphis territory. And then in the 90s, after some of the great heel commentators had left for other other ventures, Jesse Ventura, Bobby Heenan, and others, the he became a heel. That's a bad guy if you don't follow this. A heel announcer on what was then WWF programming. So at the same time, the guy was a hero, a babyface in Memphis, and a heel on national television. With the WWF. And I mentioned that only to give you an idea of how loved and how beloved this man is in Memphis. He ran for mayor twice and narrowly lost twice. Memphis, I think, would be a much better place today had he won. And uh, if if your child is sitting in a sweltering hot classroom in May or June and you're wondering why those classrooms don't have air conditioning, the answer is because Memphis voters never elected Jerry the King Lawler as mayor. And the guy was as quick-witted as can be. The guy was incredibly entertaining. He was very, very, very funny. And he was, uh, this is an idea, this is the kind of promo that he would cut. This is from 1997, when he was, I think, in a feud against Gold Dust, uh, but this was from 1997. This is Jerry the King Lawler. How are you going to fare against the uh, the bizarre nature of Gold Dust? Well, you know, it seems our sissy friend is having a little identity crisis. First he was Dustin Runnels, then he was Gold Dust, and now he wants to be the king of the ring. Well, we all saw you out here with tears running down your face, wondering why your old man, old Dust, don't love you anymore. Well, I know Dusty Rhodes, and he told me why. It's because you married the biggest gold digger in Georgia, then you put on a woman's wig, and you went around the ring kissing men like a flaming Well, let me tell you something. They're going to all have tears running down their face tonight. Bring that gold digger to the ring and bring that little crap Dakota with her. What? Because I'm going to tell you this. They're going to all have tears running down their face when I'm through with you. And what'd you name that brat? Dakota? You should have named her Target. Because I heard everybody in Atlanta had a shot at it. All right. (laughs) So uh, the guy was a great wrestler, a great announcer, a great wrestling promoter. And he was actually, is actually a great artist. He actually broke into the wrestling business doing illustrations of people. A lot of people don't know that. But um, unfortunately, he had a stroke a few months ago, and a lot of people have been very concerned. And so I figured, since we're in Memphis now, might be an opportune time to give an update on Jerry the King Lawler. And in a tweet on Monday, Jr. Jim Ross provided an update on his former broadcast partner after speaking with Jerry Lawler for an hour. And Jim Ross wrote that Lawler's voice seemed to get stronger the longer they spoke, and that Lawler will be undergoing a procedure next week to help with the situation. So I don't know what kind of procedure that is, but I guess that sounds positive. He had a massive stroke in Florida on uh, February 6th, and his speech was very limited after the stroke, but it was uh, said that he was expected to make a full recovery with rehabilitation. Well, if anybody can do that, 
Jerry the King Lawler can because uh, the guy is as tough as can be, as great a competitor as can be, and just really as funny as, as anybody there is. So we're wishing him the best of luck. All right. Charlie, Jerry, anybody else that wants to weigh in on anything we're discussing, you're welcome to uh, weigh in at 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Long distance information, give me Memphis, Tennessee. Help me find a party and try to get in touch with me. She could not leave a number, but I know a place to call. Cause my uncle took the message and he wrote it on the wall. Help me information, get in touch with my Marie. She's the only one who'd call me if I'm Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Johnny Rivers uh, going out to Jerry the King Waller. Hopefully, hey, maybe he's even listening to us on KWAM uh, right now. Mighty 990 AM. Uh, very privileged to be on that program, uh, the, on that station. 800-848-9222. Charlie is in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. I wanted to call. Well, first, before I go to my topic, I want to say, about the combination lock. Someone can get to it by figuring out through the tumblers. You might be better off getting a master key lock for the thing and then putting a piece of tape on on your locker, uh, like a white piece of medical tape and say, print marker on, I have COVID, and also put a COVID test in a little that you get from the <laughs> pharmacy in your locker as well, and that'll deter uh, acts of aggression. Uh, that's that's not that's not the worst suggestion I've ever heard, actually. Well, yeah, because people are paranoid about COVID. I I, I thought that might be helpful. My uh, my my former occupation comes in handy with stuff like that. That's good. Thank you. So so anyway, but you used the word frightened when you were discussing AI. You said it makes you feel frightened, and and. I don't know. Maybe I'm misunderstanding you. I, I don't think you mean the word in, in the sense that means we're like, uh, I'm calling for Health Kitchen. We have a hotel here, and uh, it was reported widely on the news last year. An older, elderly Chinese woman, she was picked up and body slammed by a young, you know, criminal. And, and a body slammed on the ground. He kept kicking her in the head. And so I imagine she survived the incident, the ordeal. But I imagine for her, it was truly frightening and the people have been thrown on the subway tracks by you know mentally ill people roam the subways i mean i imagine they're truly frightened disturbed and i don't think that's how you meant the use of the word is that am i understanding or am i making well i'm not afraid of ai body slamming me no 
No, no, but you're you're emotional state. You're not you're not frightened in the same sense as someone who's about. To no, much be more a- so. I, I think you could potentially have a situation where AI causes the destruction of the world. Um, I I think you could have a situation where uh, my job is made obsolete, as is the job of actors. I think you could have a situation where there's pandemic misinformation. I think you could have a situation where this is abused by a whole bunch of hostile actors and used as propaganda for other people. I, I think the the potential for nefarious behavior is almost limitless. Thank you for the call, Jerry. Hey, by the way, I, uh, I just heard, I got a tweet here, and you can find me on Twitter, at Frank Moreno, uh, from Rafael Rodriguez, who said that Newsmax also had the interview that I did with Brian Kilmeade on the Eric Bowling Show last night. I didn't know that. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Rafael Rodriguez, for informing me of that. And thank you, Eric Bowling, and whoever's responsible for, for you know for giving us a little bit of a uh, little bit of publicity there with that. So that was uh, that was nice. Um, let me say hello to Jerry in Edison. Hello, Jerry. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Good. Um, I would say that if the Democrats and the media was honest. If you were going to line up and take a cross-country trip from New York to California and back and someone had to drive and you gave them a choice that Trump was going to drive them all the way out to California and back to New York or Biden, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that everyone knows that Biden is unhealthy and no one would get in that car and pick Biden. Everyone would go with Trump. Like you don't have like they might put earphones on. They don't want to hear him. They might put blindfolds on. They don't want to see him because they hate him. But they wouldn't get in that car with Biden. They'd be scared. Yeah, you may be right, Jerry. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I you know, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea, but uh, I still don't think you could diagnose people if uh, if you're a doctor, unless you're examining them. Hey, you know, by the way, I was talking about that. Um, I was talking about uh, KWAM and Jerry Lawler. Did you know that Jerry Lawler used his job? As a DJ at KWAM, that's right, the very station we are on right now, to kind of catapult himself into bigger wrestling opportunities. Isn't that cool? That we are on the same station right now where Jerry Lawler was once a DJ? I think it's pretty wow. cool. All right, uh, 800-848-9222. Roy in New Jersey, got about a minute here. It's all yours. I think I know who's playing with your headphones and your locker. Yep, there's only two culprits, the guys that will be on on the weekend. You know, I thank you, Roy. I could see that, actually. You know why? Because uh, Curtis is so disorganized, and he's always losing his headphones. He's always he's losing everything. He loses his mobile phones everywhere, loses his wallets, his uh, kind of Rolodex. And I could see him losing mine. And I'm sure I give, I've given him my combination to the locker at one time or another. Probably takes mine, puts him back, and doesn't lock it. You know what? Curtis is one of the least hygienic people that work on this network. So I, I find that disgusting if he's using my headphones. Curtis, if that's you, please stop using them. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano.
everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So in 24 minutes, we were slated, we are slated, we are scheduled, we're hoping to go live to Moscow. But I'm emailing with Dmitry Babish, the Russian journalist that uh, we're hoping to talk to. And he's asking if he could come on later. So I don't know if he's going to be in a position to uh, come on with us in 24 minutes. If he doesn't, then that's fine because I have... I have a ton of stuff to talk about. You know, I was looking at, I have just this list of subjects that I want to bring up. It goes, it's on a Microsoft Word document. It's 22 pages, 22 pages. So we will never run out of things to talk about, right? Uh, So you don't have to worry about a dearth of content. And if he can't do it this hour, we'll have him on another day. And look, I know a lot of you strongly disagree with me putting people that have an alternative view to the Biden, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell view of the conflict in Ukraine on this program. And a lot of you turn off the radio. Well, I'll spare you. If he's not on the program, you don't have to turn off the radio. Turn it up. Make it louder. Um, Hey, before we get to denunciations, which is coming up in a moment. We found this great clip from KWAM of Jerry the King Lawler talking about being a DJ and how being a DJ on KWAM, the Mighty 990, helped him get a foothold in the wrestling business. Listen to this. Back in the day, back when you were a DJ on weekend evenings on KWAM, that was actually uh, something that you were able to use to parlay to not only get started in the wrestling business, but also to grow your presence in the wrestling business to move from West Memphis to Memphis Wrestling. Yes, exactly right. They were having some little uh, independent small wrestling shows that nobody heard about over in the old Avon Theater, which is now long since gone, but in the Avon Theater in West Memphis, Arkansas. And at that time, uh, I went over there to talk to uh, this this wrestling friend of mine, took me over there to try to get me booked. And I told the promoter that, you know, I, I just wanted to kind of start out wrestling here. And he said, well, uh, you know, we really don't have any openings right now. And so I pulled the rabbit out of the hat and I said, well, you know what? I'm on, I'm on KWAM radio every night over here uh, in Memphis. And I thought that if you would let me wrestle over here, I could plug the matches on my radio show. And he said, wait, what, what now? You're, you're on the radio every night? I said, yeah. And he said, you can talk about my matches for free? I said, yeah. He said, well, you're booked Saturday night, main event, you and uh, Jerry Vickers. And uh, that's, how, that's how I got my foot in the door. My very first match was because I was a radio DJ at KWAM. Isn't that wild? Uh, and that was, by the way, that was uh, on an interview with Wake Up Memphis, uh, where he was talking um, about a whole bunch of things. This uh, interview is a couple of years old, but he was talking with Tim Van Horn, who does a great job as the host of Wake Up Memphis on on KWAM. I think that's so cool. So uh, I don't know what I could parlay this into. I don't know if I can. I'm probably not in the proper shape to turn it into a wrestling career. Also, I don't know that I can handle the travel or the um, you know likelihood of injuries and that kind of thing, or the time commitment. So. I'll probably just stick to what I'm doing. All right. Without further ado, uh, there are a lot of things on my mind and a lot of people in my verbal crosshairs. They include the recipients of this week's The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciation. George Santos. George Santos. What a fake, phony fraud. This guy is as phony as a $3 bill. And there's one more reason to denounce him. 
he um, he made a big deal when everyone thought that he was a super wealthy guy. He pledged several times to donate his entire congressional salary. But when he was asked by Business Insider, well, are you donating your salary? And who are you donating it to? He refused to reveal the details of the supposed donations, raising serious questions about their veracity. He told the insider, I owe you no explanation to what I do with my salary. Well, it's not the insider you owe an explanation to. It's us, the public, because you made a big deal going all around before the election and after the election saying I'm donating my salary. So I think the public has a right to know if you're living up to your word or if you're lying again. I have a feeling I know what I'd bet on. Uh, George Santos, I do denounce you. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> Have you followed, and I don't mean to go from such a silly story in some respects to such a, uh, such a, a, a Sad one. But have you followed the story of this crowd surge in Yemen? It's horrible. Everything happening in Yemen is just terrible. I'm crossing Yemen right off the list of countries that I want to visit for now. At least 78 people were killed and 77 were injured in a crowd surge in Yemen's capital. I believe the capital's pronounced Sana'a. Um, what happened was this. Residents gathered at a school. Everyone's so poor in Yemen right now, okay? No one's got any money. They, they Most of them don't have food either. And they gathered at a school late Wednesday, last week, to receive cash donations from merchants during the Islamic holiday of Ramadan. All sorts of people lined up for this. I think th- certainly hundreds, but I think thousands. I think about 3,000 people lined up for these cash donations. You know how much those cash donations were that 3,000 people lined up for? You know how much each person was going to get? $9. $9. 3,000 people lined up at a school and waited in line for hours before rushing the building because they thought they might get $9. That's how bad things are in Yemen right now. Well, anyway, the ruling Houthi rebels, which are, I know it's a little confusing. If they're ruling, why are they the rebels? It's a little confusing. But the Houthis, they apparently fired guns in the air in an attempt to control the crowd. The crowd was getting out of control, and you've seen this in a lot of Westerns. Everyone's going crazy. They shoot the gun in the air. Hey, everybody, calm down, calm down. And everybody calms down. Well, the fellas that were trying to control this crowd, they shoot these guns in the air in an attempt to control the crowd. They hit an electrical wire and cause an explosion that triggers a panic. So now it led to 78 people dying. So I am denouncing the Houthis responsible for this. Shooting this electrical wire, if you're going to try and control the crowd by shooting weapons into the sky, at least make sure you don't hit electrical wires and cause explosions. They are giving the families of anyone who lost a relative about $2,000. If you were only injured and you didn't lose a relative, you get $400. Something tells me as tough as $2,000 might be to come by in Yemen right now, 
those families would rather have their loved one back. I mean, the whole Middle East is just such such a mess. I mean, Sudan, Yemen, it's just really makes you thankful to live in this country. For all the problems this country has, I mean, you look at what's happening in some of these other places, and it really makes you appreciative to be here. I have to denounce Diane Abbott. Diane Abbott is a minister in uh, the Labor Party in Great Britain. And she sent this letter that was really ridiculous. I don't like to denounce people for sending letters, but this really borders on hate and anti-Semitism. So she, in this letter, which she wrote in response to a Guardian article, she wrote that Irish, Jewish, and traveler people undoubtedly experience prejudice, which she said is similar to racism. She continued, it's true that many types of white people with points of difference, such as redheads, can experience this prejudice, but they are not all their lives subject to racism. In pre-civil rights America, Irish people, Jewish people, and travelers were not required to sit at the back of the bus. In apartheid South Africa, these groups were allowed to vote. And at the height of slavery, there were no white-seeming people manacled on the slave ships. And she was responding to a comment piece in The Guardian questioning the view that racism only affects people of color. I mean, any group can experience hate because of who they are or prejudice or anti-Semitism. This is so tone deaf. And when you're going out of your way, and I think she's apologized for this, so I don't want to denounce her too harshly. But she has been suspended as a a minister by the Labor Party. Whenever you're going out of your way to say, well, only we black people can be the victims of racism. What that does is it just divides people. And it pits one group of people, one race, one ethnicity, one religion against another. And I think that's the last thing we need right now. Rather than kind of banging your chest and say, well, only we get to be the victims of racism our whole lives. Why don't you say, rather than only we can be victims of racism, why don't you say, what can we do to improve race relations? Isn't that a much better conversation? I mean, why go out of your way to alienate people like this? So, Diane Abbott, I do denounce you. I must also denounce fried food. You know, we've always known fried food is bad for your waistline. Um, I I try not to have fried food. I did have a piece of fried fish when I was in Atlanta on Friday because my buddy whose bachelor party it was wanted – or Thursday. He wanted uh, wings, and I didn't want to get wings because of that boneless lawsuit. So I got some a fish dish. The only thing they had was was fried fish. So um, that, but other than that, I, I very rarely have anything fried. I, I also don't like the taste. I don't like the taste. I don't. You know, it doesn't help you lose weight. It leads to heartburn. It's just bad all around. But some people love it. I know a lot of people that eat fr- fried foods every day. A team of food scientists at Zhejiang University in China has found a possible link between frequent fried food consumption and increased level of anxiety and depression in consumers. In their study, which appears to be legitimate, 
reported in Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. The group describes analyzing patient data for 140,728 people. And they found that people that eat fried food frequently suffer from depression and anxiety far more than those who don't. Now, as Mark Siegel explained on uh, Cats and Cosby this week, we don't know whether it's fried food that causes you to suffer from depression and anxiety or whether because you're anxious and depressed, you then seek out fried foods. Correlation does not equal causation, but uh, either way, that's yet another reason, in my view, to stay away from fried food. Fried food? I do denounce you. I must also denounce the German magazine. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. Die Achtulier. Die Achtuel. This German magazine ran what it described as a world sensation interview with the retired Formula One driver, Michael Schumacher. Um, this was his first interview supposedly, since uh, suffering a serious accident. And look, they got a lot of cover from this, a lot of coverage. The front cover included the words, it sounds, um, so it, they made this into a big thing. Well, it turns out he didn't do this interview with this magazine. They used AI to mimic his responses. And I think the editor responsible was fired, but the family of Michael Schumacher is planning to take legal action. You can't claim someone is doing an interview when they're not. I mean, unless it's clearly parody, but I think that's way inappropriate. So, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Good News International Church and the pastor, Paul McKenzie Enthanji. This is a cult. Okay, this is a Kenyan cult. And now we have found that um, possibly at least 90 people, possibly as many as 213 people died at this ranch in Kenya owned by this pastor who led this religious cult and ordered his followers to starve themselves in order to meet Jesus. And the followers in this cult listened and a whole bunch of people died of starvation because they were following this madman he told them to fast until death in order to meet jesus before burying them in shallow graves spread across his land he's been arrested after police raided the property this is just crazy this is absolutely a perfect example of religious extremism And the negative effects that it can have. Let me give you uh, some free advice. If you're in a church or a cult or a political party or anything that says you should starve yourself in order for to meet Jesus, I think it's time you should leave. It's it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Jesus doesn't want you to starve yourself. Jesus ate like crazy. So even when he came back to life. It's one of the first things he wanted to do was eat. Um, I want to denounce Belgian customs. These guys are such losers. 
the and when I say customs, I don't mean the traditions they have in Belgium. I mean the customs people in the nation of Belgium. The customs workers destroyed more than 2,000 cans of Miller High Life because it's advertised as the champagne, or as I call it, the champagne of beers. They destroyed a shipment of American beer after taking exception to the slogan, the champagne of beers. It's just a slogan. But the customs officials crushed 2,352 cans of Miller High Life because they said it was improperly labeled as champagne. Come on! No one thinks it's champagne. I love Miller High Life. To see 2,352 cans of beer, which could have been given to the homeless or to the starving, to see it just wasted this way, I think this is tremendously horrible. And um, the trade association for the champagne industry is no better. They've been complaining that the term should be used only on bottles of sparkling wine made using a traditional method in Champagne, France. I get where they're coming from. No one is buying Miller High Life thinking it's champagne. They're buying it thinking it's beer. And the fact that they want to be the champagne of beers... It goes to show you what a good product champagne is. You know, you don't see them labeling themselves the manure of beers. You don't see them labeling themselves the yugol of beers, right? Champagne, it applies, it implies elitism. It implies something, a, a cut above. No one thinks it's champagne. And the fact that they would wreck thousands of cans of beers like this To me, it's, I hate to use the term, but it's a sin. It is to waste that amount of beer. Horrible. There's needy children or young adults that would love to have that beer. Ugh, hate that story. I want to denounce Joseph Ladapo. He uh, was the Florida Surgeon General, and he apparently personally altered a state-driven study about COVID-19 vaccines last year to suggest that some doses pose a significantly higher health risk for young men than had been established by the broader medical community. Ladapo's changes released as part of a public records request presented the risks of cardiac death to be more severe than previous versions of the study. This is terrible. This fellow is a well-known vaccine skeptic and... He faced a lot of backlash from the medical community after he made these assertions. But to actually alter the key findings in a study, I mean, that's not what doctors are supposed to do. You're supposed to go where the research takes you, not fake the research or fake the studies to align with your political or medical point of view. It's terrible. I want to denounce the Odessa Safety Company. This is uh, a a construction company in Midwood, Brooklyn, that undercover agents found was selling fake construction training cards. They exchanged cash for documents, falsely certifying they received 40 hours of required safety training. Now, I hate everything about this because it's terrible that they're committing fraud. 
But it's also terrible that the result of this fraud is that you have less qualified and less experienced construction workers working on construction sites. We've seen what happens when you have poorly built or poorly administered construction sites. And it could lead to people dying. And the fact that a company would actually uh, give people fake construction training cards for money, for pure greed, I think this is reprehensible. I I hope they throw the book at these people. I want to denounce the Fuji's rapper, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Prakazrel Michel. They just call him Praz or Pras. He has been convicted. He was with the Fugees. And I actually like a lot of the Fugees' music. But he's been convicted of funneling money from a fugitive Malaysian financier through straw donors to Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign and then trying to squelch a Justice Department investigation and influence an extradition case on behalf of China under the Trump administration. This guy had hooks in both parties uh, because of money. And a lot of that money was illegal. And I hope they make an example of this guy, and I hope they throw the book at this guy. I want to denounce the five NFL players that have been suspended for gambling, especially the three players, C.J. Moore, Quintez Cephas, and Shaka Tony, Shaka Tony, who have been betting on NFL games. I don't know how much clearer the NFL can be. You can't engage in sports gambling, especially on these NFL games. You know, there's a lot of people that dream of being professional football players, and only a handful of them get to do it. And the fact that these guys would jeopardize their opportunity to be football players, professional football players, and get paid a lot of money for betting on some game, to me, is just idiotic. So I'm denouncing them for stupidity and for breaking the rules. Look, the the career of an NFL player is relatively short. I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it's 10 years. If you're lucky. And... I think that um, I think that uh, you know I just looked the average career length of an NFL player it's less than that it's about four years it's about four years I mean more but other positions have longer career spans than others but to me if you can't take a break from gambling for four years there's something really wrong with you all right. We may talk to Dmitry Babich next, or we may go through some other stories and have time to take your calls. How are we looking on Dmitry Babich, Kenneth? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Okay, we don't know. So we're probably not going to have Dmitry Babich. You know what that means? That means you're the beneficiary of the time that I was going to spend with Dmitry Babich. You can call in. We have eight open lines. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Oh, some people say I, take, I say the phone number too quickly, and I guess that's a fair criticism. So it's 800. You, if you're calling from a mobile phone, you don't have to dial 1. If you're calling from a landline, you do have to dial 1. It's 800-848-9222. Eight open lines if you want to comment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots and ruined your blind tie affair. The last one to know. The last one to show I was the last one you thought you'd see there And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes When I took his glass of champagne And I toasted you and said, honey, we may be thrilled But you'll never hear me complain Cause I got friends in long places where the How great of a song is this? This is Garth Brooks. And um, this is the song that that um, Jay Leno, that he performed, that Garth Brooks, Brooks performed on the very last episode of The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. This was the last thing you heard. After Jay Leno gave his goodbye to everybody in 2014, Garth Brooks performed this song... And uh, Jay Leno clapped along with it. Well, um, Jay Leno is 73 years old today, and the guy is an incredible comedian. I know there's a lot of things you could say about Jay Leno, and I know a lot of people have been critical of him, and with good reason. But um, the guy is an incredible entertainer, and as Garth Brooks pointed out before performing this song, which was one of Jay Leno's favorites, he thanked Jay for being such a good friend to entertainment, and he is. He is. As a stand-up, as the host of The Tonight Show, as the host of The Jay Leno Show, as uh, the host of Jay Leno's Underground Garage, or whatever you call it, Garage, as the host now of uh, You Bet Your Life, the guy's done a lot for entertainment and given a lot of performers an opportunity. And, I, look, there's a lot of things negative you could say about him, and I'm not saying he's uh, a demigod, but you got to give anybody that's had that degree of success in ratings... And in filling arenas, you got to give them their due. You know, somebody called a couple of weeks ago and asked my opinion of Sean Hannity. And the truth is, I don't watch Sean Hannity. I don't really like his shows. But anybody that's been able to do what Sean Hannity has done on TV and in radio for as long as, as he has, you got to give him credit. And you don't get there without a lot of hard work. And the same thing is true of Jay Leno. Jay Leno uh, is... And has been incredibly successful in a field where it's difficult to be successful. And uh, you got to give the guy his due, whether it's his birthday or not. So happy third, 73rd birthday to Jay Leno, particularly after he uh, is recovering from a very serious automobile accident. So we're wishing him the best and hope he's doing well. Hopefully he'll come on this program soon. Friends in low places. All right, uh, Dimitri Babich is not with us, so we have eight open lines, and uh, you're welcome to comment on anything we're talking about. 800-848-9222. Debbie Schlussel joining me in an hour. 
after the $1,000 minute, 800-848-9222. There's uh, one article that I did want to comment on that I saw in the um, New York Post. I thought it was interesting. And um, let me let me pull, pull this up here. So this was interesting. Here's the headline. This is by our friend Alex Mitchell, who listens to this program and graciously offered to be on this show. Maybe we'll have him on to talk about this. The headline is, aliens could contact Earth in the near future, according to scientists. Humanity may be able to contact an alien race as early as 2029, according to a recent analysis from the University of California's Berkeley and Los Angeles campus. They compiled a list of stars and planets that are bound to encounter Earth signals within the next century, while also deducing that the first return messages could come as soon as six years from now. So This is a, according to the lead researcher here, Howard Isaacson, this is a famous idea from Carl Sagan, who used it a lot as a plot theme in the movie Contact. You know, I like that movie Contact. A lot of people were critical of one of the key plot twists, well, some people didn't like it. I thought it was terrific. I really enjoyed it. Researchers have been using physics laws to determine how quickly signals blared from NASA's deep space network could be sent back, producing several key insights. And a signal sent to Pioneer 10, a spacecraft that did a Jupiter flyby in 1973, had the radio transmission reach a, a dead white dwarf star in twenty twenty in 2002. This is the star that, if alien life exists near it, could respond to Earth by 2029. So, if there is alien life near Pioneer 10, and if they get our message and responded to it, we could hear a response within the next... You know, in about six years. So that's something to look forward to, right? wonder what they're going to say. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Also on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's uh, Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Speaking of all things alien. Yesterday, I finished. It took me five sittings to do it. But yesterday, I finally finished the... Season three of Picard, I have to tell you, it is absolutely phenomenal. This season, season three, is my favorite season of Picard. This season really was Star Trek as at its best. It it really is such a wonderful tribute and a wonderful homage to Star Trek the Next Generation. And this season has made me so nostalgic for Star Trek The Next Generation and they did a great job incorporating new characters that that we're seeing on the series Picard for the first time with incorporating characters from The Next Generation, from Deep Space Nine, uh, yeah, Deep Space Nine and from Voyager and to see all these actors in some cases 30 years later I found it to be um, really special and I, I love the story. I thought the story in season two was a little peculiar. I think there's some 
there are one or two plot questions that I have that I'm not going to bandy about on the air because it would give spoilers away. But it was just so well done. And, you know, my here's my one complaint with the last episode of Picard, and it has nothing to do with the series, is John from Brooklyn, who calls in all the time and calls me a sanctimonious hypocrite and is posting like crazy in the Facebook group uh, that he doesn't like Dr. Turi, that he doesn't like uh, uh, Tucker Carlson, that he doesn't like uh, whatever. I, I've lost track. I don't even look. But he posted in the Facebook group a headline to an article that revealed a major special cameo by a legendary Star Trek cast member. Now, I'm not going to say who it is, but he posted this in there, and it's in the headline. So there was no way I could not see it. Now, that would have been so special for me if I got to watch this episode without that spoiler. I never would have expected this. This this character, or this actor, that is in this brief cameo role, I would have so enjoyed that. But instead, I don't want to call anybody names, but John from Brooklyn posts this in there, and then that's all I'm waiting for the whole episode. Now And then it happens, that moment happens, and then I'm thinking, okay, is that it? Or are we going to see more from him? And I would have, that would have been so much more special to me had he not robbed me of the opportunity to see that as it was meant to be seen. <laughs> the point is, though, if you're a Star Trek fan, particularly the next generation, or Voyager, or, the, or Deep Space Nine, But if you're a Star Trek fan and you like Next Generation, you will love the current season of Picard. You'll love it. It helps if you've seen season one. You really don't need to see season two. Um, It helps a little bit. You don't need it. I think you could skip season two and go right to season three. But even if you want to go right from Next Generation to season three, you can do it. I mean, I thought it was great. I really did. And the... um, There's one scene, I'm not going to say anything that happens in it, but there's one scene at the end that I'm a little ambivalent about because on the one hand, they bring back an old character, but I was uh, happy to see this character because it made me nostalgic for Next Generation, but it's such, it's a plot point that they've used again and again. So, I mean, I can deal with it because I enjoyed seeing this person. And because, unlike John from Brooklyn, I have enough respect for you that I'm not going to tell you who it is. But I, I'm i concerned. I hope if there's a season four, which I don't know if there will be, or there might be even a spinoff of focusing on some of these other characters, that um, I hope they don't just go down this road that we've seen now five or six times in Star Trek before. So we'll see. But the point is, I uh, highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. Let's check in over at our busy phones. All right. Maybe they're not so busy. <laughs> if you've ever dreamed of being on the radio, this is your opportunity. We've got to be able to open lines. All right. Uh, I Yesterday was my day to make dinner for my wife and son. And so I went to the fish store 
and I made um, wild salmon. But I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to do it a little bit differently this time. Instead of put it in the oven and broiling it, I said, well, you know what? Let me try to barbecue it. And I uh, I got I looked online and I found this great recipe for a salmon barbecued marinade. And it's got honey in there, soy sauce, olive oil. It's a really great marinade. And um, I was very, very proud to do it. And I made, uh, but we hadn't used our grill in a while. So I go to the barbecue and I lift the cover up. And I'm hoping by this point in the podcast, my wife is no longer listening because I didn't share this with her yet. She's going to be pretty ticked off that I'm about to share it with you. There, I open the grill, and there's a mouse in the grill. A mouse. Tiny mouse, but a mouse. And I, I was a little taken aback because you open a grill, oh you, don't, you don't expect to see any living creatures. And the mouse scurries away right away as soon as I open the grill. And I said, all right, well, is it still okay to cook on here? Still okay? There was a mouse. Doesn't look oh dirty, my though. Oh, goodness. Doesn't look dirty. And there's going to be so much heat from the fire that uh, that's going to destroy any germs that are on there. <laughs> it looks pretty clean. So so I made the salmon on there. Um, oh, my God. For some reason, I couldn't get one of the burners on my barbecue to light. And it's not old. It's only three years old. It's a nice grill. It's a Weber grill. But sometimes there's a problem with the igniter. And... Um, one, two, two of the burners lit fine. One didn't. So it was burning a little unevenly, but I thought it came good. And it was flaking or came well. And it was flaking appropriately, I thought. I made a very nice salad. I tried to do my best recollection of the Forlini salad, but it was a very good salad. And then I, um, I made a little steamed spinach as well. But I thought it came really great. And then uh, I come in, we go and uh, and go to the dinner table, and I'm serving it. And Rachel says, well, no, this, look at this. This is undercooked. It's undercooked. Even though the black, the outside is kind of blackened, it's charred. She said, it's undercooked. The middle looks so. So I said, okay, we're off to a bad start. So we put it in the oven after barbecuing it. We put it in the oven at 450 degrees for another five or ten minutes while we had the salad course, which she was very pleased with. And then once it came out of the oven, I was very nervous about what her response would be. But uh, but she enjoyed it, ultimately, even with the dual cooking. So uh, I would say that uh, it was it was a success, the dinner. We did not have any of those garlic clove incidents that we had last week where we use the improper number of garlic cloves. We use the proper amount this time. But uh, it was, you know, I thought it was good. I thought it was a, a, a nice meal, and it was pretty well-reviewed. Carmine seemed to enjoy the uh, the salmon. So it was, uh, it was an enjoyable meal all around. All right, 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Hey, today is a banner day, not only because... It was um, Jay Leno's birthday, or is Jay Leno's birthday, but it's because, as of a few hours ago, yesterday, it was the 12th birthday of none other than Joey from Ronkonkoma. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, that's because Joey from Ronkonkoma is actually the son of Joe 
from Ron Konkuma. So we had intended to wish him a happy birthday yesterday, but uh, circumstances prevented us from doing so. So we want to wish Joey, uh, who's the son of one of our best listeners, Joe from Ron Konkuma, who has taught me a lot about parenting and is just a nice guy, and I've met him in person. He seems like a great guy, actually. We want to wish Joey a happy day after your birthday, and hopefully all your wishes came true. And uh, if they didn't, as we Met fans are used to saying, wait till next year. 800-848-9222. Joe and Ron Konkuma on the line. Hello there, Joe. Hey, Frank. Thank you for that. That was beautiful. Thank you. Oh, sure thing. What'd you guys do for your son's birthday? Well, uh, he, uh, we went to this uh, restaurant over by my house uh, that he loves. It's uh, it's like a bar restaurant. It's, you know, it's... Uh, it's called Rockwell's. I'm not, you know, plugging them or anything, but they got really good food and stuff. And, uh, you know, he had to go to school, of course, and uh, he got everything he wanted for his birthday, and he was very happy, very happy. That's wonderful. That's great. I'm glad you had a good time. You were talking about your barbecue, uh, Frank, um, that one burner not lighting. You got to check sometimes spider webs form in there, and you got to clean them out, and it's prevents the propane from flowing. I didn't see any webs in there, though. I was looking. Wouldn't I see that? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you can uh, call. There's a guy. Uh, we, uh, My mother will get some guy that comes in, and they actually do a tune-up on the barbecue feed. It's not a lot of money. They clean all the ports out and stuff. But, oh, uh, really? Okay. Maybe, maybe I, I do Weber, that. I, I have a Weber grill. I love it. They last yeah, it's a, a great grill. Time. It's a great grill, and, and, it, and it, it makes good food. It's just for some reason the middle burner – um, was it was having a problem, uh, and I, again, I think there's a problem with the igniter. So I got just a regular, you know, lighter, one of those long lighters, yeah. and I was using that. And two of the burners, uh, you know, it they in, inflamed fine, but for whatever whatever reason, this middle burner uh, had a hard time. Yeah, call up. Uh, they have people come to your house. I think it's like a couple of. Yeah, maybe under a hundred dollars, they service it for you, and they change the igniter. If it's a lot of this stuff is covered under a warranty too. Oh, really? They can, uh, scan, yeah, they can scan your barbecue, and uh, if it is covered, they do replace it for free. Huh? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, it's a relatively new grill, so I think it might be. Uh, but even if it's only a hundred dollars or so, then that's not that's not necessarily a lot of money either. So I would uh, definitely uh, try and take advantage of that. All right, I, I'll look into that. Thank you, Joe. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Guns N' Roses knocking on heaven's door. Hey, coming up next hour, we have uh, Debbie Schlussel. we got the $1,000 Minute. We've got 15 seconds of fame. We've got a lot to get to, and we will. Uh, I wanted to run through some of those blind spot reports where you hear the stories that the left isn't reading and the stories that the right isn't reading. This is from Ground News. Uh, I'll, I'll run through these quickly, just basically give you the headline, and if there's a comment necessary, I'll give that. Here's what the left is not reading. The Congressional Budget Office projected the House GOP's debt limit package, which passed by two votes. Major victory for Kevin McCarthy. Got to hand it to him. The guy's doing a better job than I thought he would be at this point in terms of just managing this immanageable conference. The Congressional Budget Office projected the House GOP's debt limit package would save $4.8 trillion over the next decade. Now, that's significant. And nobody on the left knows anything about it. Here's what the right doesn't know. A county in Arizona, I believe it's pronounced, and I know we have some Arizona people listening, Cochise or Cochise, Cochise, uh, this rural county in Arizona brought on an elections director who spread false claims about voter fraud in the 2020 election. Is that really who you want running your elections? I don't think so. For the left... Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau generated controversy for recently claiming that he never forced anyone in his country to get the immunization throughout the course of the pandemic. Well, it's not exactly true. For the right, climate change is spurring first-time allergies in adults. Though it's not clear how many people are feeling pollen pain for the first time, the CDC reporting 25% of U.S. adults had seasonal allergies in 2021. Climate change likely driving adult-onset allergies. So for those of you that don't believe in climate change, tell that to yourself while you're sneezing and coughing. What the left is not reading... The director of a school board in Washington state suggested that string and instrumental music classes help contribute to white supremacist culture as the board voted to cut the courses for fourth grade students and a significant budget shortfall. Oh, will you give me a break? What? Playing the violin and string instruments leads to white supremacy? Come on. What the right is not reading. Fox News agreed to hand over additional documents about top executives to the voting system company Smartmatic in its defamation lawsuit against the company. For the left, a whistleblower tells Congress, Kilmeade brought this up, I think, yesterday, that government is delivering migrant children. Oh, no, he didn't bring this up. Whistleblower telling Congress that government is delivering migrant children to human traffickers. Oh, yes. A whistleblower told a House subcommittee on Wednesday about the horrors of child migrant exploitation at the border and called for Congress to act to tackle the crisis. For the right, Don Lemon to this TV show Extra on his exit from CNN. I don't have I don't have to rush to another job, even if I want another job. The former CNN host Don Lemon said he doesn't have to rush to another job after his abrupt exit from the network and said he's excited for a new chapter. I don't think he's that excited. I think he'd much rather continue to have his job at CNN.
but what do I know? 800-848-9222. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Yes, good morning, and thank you for the the original. Anyway, um, Frank, uh, i got to give you a little cautionary advice about how much fish you're eating. Mm -hmm. You eat a lot of fish. And my my veterinarian uh, told me to stop feeding any fresh fish whatsoever to my cats because all the neurological damage she's seeing from heavy metals. And, uh, I mean... you never, when I hear you talking about the recipes you're going to make for dinner, you never ever mention chicken, ever. Well, uh, because I, you know, my wife doesn't eat meat. Oh, oh, that makes a big difference. Right. Oh. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, I, 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 I don't get this. Meat and fish are not the same thing. I mean, they're living animals. I can understand that eating meat because you don't want to kill an animal, but you're killing a fish. It's still a live thing. All right, we'll it's talk alive. to her. I don't know what you want. You know? <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not getting on her. I'm just saying I don't understand the difference between fish and meat. And it, but, but now I understand. But salmon, which we have about once a week, it's pretty low in mercury. Yeah, it's a white. It's 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 a fresh a freshwater fish. Yeah, that, so I, I mean, so the EPA classifies salmon under the fish with a very low mercury levels category. So oh, okay, and is that the main fish that you eat? Yeah, we do it once a week. Once a week. Oh, oh, that's not a lot. You talk about it a lot more than once a week, though. It sounds like you're eating it like three or four times a week. No, I mean, we well, have other fishes too, but um, but you know, the high mercury fish, marlin, weak fish, um, you know, bluefish. Lobster, we don't have those very often at all. Uh, tuna, which my wife doesn't even eat. I love it. But All right, until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, uh, last hour, I think it was last hour. I've lost track of the hours. Uh, Last hour, I praised uh, two people that are very different types of broadcasters, but they have one thing in common, Jay Leno and Sean Hannity. The one thing they have in common is that they've both had an enormous amount of success in the media, which is a very difficult thing to do. They've also had that success for many years. And it's very easy. You know, there's a documentary out now about the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And I was listening to an interview that the man that uh, made that documentary was doing. And the, uh, it, the moderator asked him, what happened to Blood, Sweat, and Tears? 
why did they fade away? And basically, I, I thought the and maybe we'll even have this guy on the show, but the guy made such an interesting point. He said that so often, whether we're talking entertainment, music, broadcasting, whatever, people have a moment. Politics, people have a moment. And when the moment and they're top of the world in that moment. And when the moment passes, it's over. It's over. Look, and we've seen that in every field. In politics, I think the best example of that is Sarah Palin. In um in television, I think the best example that I can think of off the top of my head is Morton Downey Jr. In uh, kind of, I don't know, in the field of news celebrities, I think it's the man with the golden voice, Ted Williams. You remember how much we heard about the man with the golden voice for, you know, a year? In pro wrestling, and I'm sorry to make so many wrestling comparisons tonight, I think uh, an example of that is uh, Bill Goldberg. The guy had a moment where he was on top of the world. And when his moment passed, his moment passed. But the folks that are able to dominate in any field, not for a year, not for two years, not for three years, but for decades, that's something really special. Those guys, whether we're talking radio with people like Rush Limbaugh, Howard Stern, whether we're talking wrestling, people like The Undertaker, whether we're talking um, you know, television, with uh, people like Jay Leno, whether we're talking uh, politics, people like whether you like him or don't like him, I'm not crazy about him, but I give him credit for being able to do what he's done for the last 50 years, Chuck Schumer. Those guys have figured out something special. The fact that they can be not just in their field making a living for all that time, but dominant, that's extraordinary. Yesterday... We lost a legend, a man who was a similarly dominant broadcaster for about 30 years. And the fact that he was able to generate this amount of buzz, of ratings, of revenue, not for a year, two years, three years, but for decades. Is extraordinary. And so we remember the passing of Jerry Springer. Now, when I mention that word, Jerry Springer, what comes to mind? It probably trash TV, probably people fighting with one another. And I think that's fair. That's how he made his living for a long time. But the Jerry Springer, the person, was so much more substantive than that. He was not just a broadcaster who had a lot of success on television, but also worked in radio. He was on Air America, did a very successful podcast as well. He was a journalist for, the, for a time. He won uh, several Emmy Awards for commentary. When you think of Jerry Springer, you don't think Emmy Award winner. He won Emmy Award winner Emmys for his commentary on local issues. He was a lawyer. He was a member of the Cincinnati City Council. He was the mayor of Cincinnati. And he was born in London during World War II to refugees who were escaping the Holocaust, raised in Queens, in New York York City. And he was so inspired by the campaign of Robert F. Kennedy, that's senior, obviously, not junior, that he 
decided to work on his presidential campaign in 1968 and wanted to devote the bulk of his life to politics. And ultimately, after the Kennedy campaign, he joins a law firm. He's practicing law and doing pretty well. He runs for Congress, loses, but he took 45% of the vote in a district that was heavily Republican. And people said, oh, this guy's figured out something. The next year, he runs for city council in Cincinnati, gets elected. His career, that first stint on the city council is relatively short-lived. I think you probably know why at this point. If you know anything about Jerry Springer, even though it was 50 years ago, this is a story that's followed him around for 50 years. He admitted to soliciting a prostitute. And and this is a good piece of advice for those of you that are soliciting prostitutes in states where prostitution is still illegal. He paid the prostitute with a check. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. And you should absolutely, if you're utilizing a prostitute in a state where it's illegal, pay cash. Pay cash. Now, or Bitcoin. They take Bitcoin. But here's what a lot of people don't, they forget about the whole thing. So it's true he resigned from the city council after admitting to soliciting a prostitute. But then he ran again for city council a year after that and got elected in a landslide. And then he was reelected two years later and two years after that. And, you know, it's funny. People should have known in paying attention to his political career what was in store for them in the world of television because he was considered sort of a gonzo-type politician and he would engage in these stunts like staying a night in jail or commandeering a bus after the city took over bus service. He was the mayor, and they had a sort of a weird system back then, so he was only mayor for a year. And the reason they have direct elections of the mayor in Cincinnati now is because of Jerry Springer. He pushed through the charter change that let the people pick the mayor instead of the uh, city council. So in 1981, he steps down from the city council because he wanted to run for governor of Ohio. And he sought the Democratic nomination for governor of Ohio. And it's very interesting. You're in a very creative campaign. And you can bet that check that he paid the prostitute with, that was a big part of this campaign. But it wasn't his opponents that brought that up. You know who brought that up? Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. Imagine this. And I give the guy credit for honesty and gumption and creativity, quite frankly. He runs commercials, TV commercials, referencing the fact that he paid a prostitute with a check. Now, think of that. That's the kind of thing you'd assume his opponents would run. The guy's own campaign is running ads promoting the fact that he paid a prostitute with a check. And then what they would say in the commercials was that he was not afraid of the truth, even if it hurts. So he did not win the election for governor, and then he ultimately starts a career as a political reporter and a commentator on the local NBC affiliate and starts doing very well. At the time, the station that he was on, WLWT, had the lowest rated news program, and then Jerry Springer essentially took them 
to number one. And he that's where he created his signature catchphrase, take care of yourself and each other. And within two years, he was Cincinnati's number one news anchor. For five years, he was the most popular news anchor in the city of Cincinnati. Did you know that? Can you imagine that? He won, He garnered 10 local Emmy Awards for his nightly commentaries, which were uh, quite good. And then, uh, come 1991, he has this opportunity to do a national talk show, the Jerry Springer show or Jerry Springer. And it started out, and I remember it when it, when it started out, and I used to watch it when it started out. It started out as a very serious sort of politically oriented talk show, almost like Donahue. And not as good as Donahue, but almost as good. And they had uh, basically a longer version of his commentaries, although now he's speaking out about national issues. And he had very serious guests. He'd have Oliver North on. He'd have Jesse Jackson on. He'd have people on the left and on the right debating one another. He'd have neo-Nazis on with uh, with black people. He'd have people from totally opposite points of view. And then he would do some fun shows, too. I remember one show in this time, because I, I this is when I used to watch it. He'd have one show at this time where they had a bunch of celebrity impressionists. And it was fun. It was really a lot of fun. And then uh, they would talk homelessness for a whole hour. They would talk gun politics for a whole hour. It, you know, he was left-leaning, but you got the sense that he gave the right a, a fair shake. So then 1994 comes around. Jerry Springer and his new producer, Richard Dominic see all the success that Richard Bay is having doing trash television. And they revamp the show's whole format in order to garner higher ratings. And the show became much more successful as they started doing this sort of tabloid sensationalism. Guests, no more Oliver North, no more Jesse Jackson, everyday people confronted on a stage by a spouse or a family member's adultery or their homosexuality or their transsexuality or their prostitution or their transvestitism or their hate group membership or other controversial situations. These confrontations were um, sometimes scripted shouting. The show did incredible ratings and got even more attention. By 1998, it was beating the Oprah Winfrey show in almost every city in the country. It was reaching more than 6.7 million viewers. And the guy, Jerry Springer, was making millions, millions upon millions, writes a best-selling book. It plays himself in all kinds of movies, releases these too hot for TV videotapes. They sell millions. The guy uh, basically is doing this trash TV show that he doesn't have to work too hard at. And he's making millions, super famous, and it gives him the flexibility to do other things. So ultimately, in 2018 or 2019, he decides after 27 seasons, in syndication, he's stepping down. And I spoke to him shortly after that. I think I spoke to him in 2019 or so. But I asked him, what did you choose to give it up for? And why, when you're making all this money, would you just stop? So this is what he said about why he stepped away from the Jerry Springer show. 
What made you decide to step away from that show and give it up after nearly three decades of doing it? Well, um, you know, 27 years or three decades is uh, is really long enough to be doing any one thing. And, uh, you know, I'm very uh, grateful that the show worked out and it was certainly a lot of fun to do. But, you know, it it was time to move to something else or, you know, most people my age are retired. I'm 76 and I was ready to retire. And then all of a sudden, uh, uh, Sean uh, O'Boyle, who uh, was the head of sales at NBC or is the head of sales at NBC, he came into my office about a month before my last taping of the Jerry Springer show. And he says, hey, you're a lawyer. What about doing Judge Jerry? And. Oh, my gosh. You know, I took about 14 seconds and then said yes. And it really what the show I'm doing now, Judge Jerry, is really the only job I've ever had that I was actually trained to do. You know, uh, being a lawyer, going to law school, et cetera, graduating, et cetera. Every other job I've had came as a surprise. It wasn't anything I went to school for or thought about as a kid. So my life has been incredibly lucky, but now all of a sudden I'm in my comfort zone, and I love being a judge, and, uh, you know, as long as I stay healthy, I'll keep doing it. So the guy did it for three seasons, and he said it gave him an opportunity to do host a more grown-up program, use his law school education. He was decent as a TV judge. I thought he was colorful enough. I thought he was fun. And... Um, uh, you know, I, I gave him credit. He didn't take himself too seriously. He knew what he was there for, passionate about two things, politics and the New York Yankees. Everything else, he took every opportunity as it came. And it's funny, as big of a star as he was doing trash TV here, he would go to England where he lived part of the year and would visit regularly, and he would do serious political commentary. They would have him on to comment to uh, comment on American elections, and he did it very well, and was a big star in England, and had all sorts of separate shows in England. So a lot of success in the podcast world, a lot of success on TV as a local anchor, as a commentator, as a talk show host, and as a TV judge. And I've talked about this repeatedly. I so admire people that are able to reinvent themselves. And have success and go outside their field of comfort and take a risk and that risk be rewarded with success. So I didn't know Jerry Springer. I I met him. I don't think I ever met him in person, actually. But we spoke on the phone many times. He was always uh, very nice. And, uh, you know, we had kind of just a superficial relationship. But uh, but I really liked him. I didn't watch his show once it got into the whole trash uh, situation. But, uh, oh, I didn't even mention it. He hosted two seasons of America's Got Talent. But you, his resume, oh, since uh, just being in TV alone, goes on and on and on. I liked him. I thought he was a fun guy who didn't take himself too seriously. And we spoke about his on-screen demeanor. The, the thing that I like about this show, as opposed to other judge shows, is that, um, you know, you can be stern, but you're not mean. You do have this sort of kind way about you, even if someone is clearly in the wrong. Is that intentional on your part, or is that just sort of a natural extension of your personality? Well, I'd like to think it's just a natural extension of my personality. In other words, I, I don't think I'm a mean person, and, and, and I, even though 
the show I had for years was a crazy show. Uh, you never really saw me getting crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty boringly normal. You, you know, I view being a judge the same way I view being a dad and a, a grandparent, a grandfather. In other words, sometimes you have to discipline your child or your grandchild, but you always do it with love. You do it with kindness or understanding, you know, explaining why this is the rule and why there has to be perhaps a punishment or some discipline. But, I mean, I I just think, frankly, I think that's how most people are. Mm. Most people aren't mean. The one lesson I've learned about television is that you have to be who you really are. Because you're in there in people's living rooms every day for years and with the camera up close. You can't fake it. You know, there's just no way. It's not like when you make a movie, you can play a character (laughs) because you play a character while the camera's on and then you go home and you live your life. But here they're watching me every single day with no script. And therefore, how do you fake it for 27 years? You can't. You have to wind up being who you are. I think uh, he nailed it. And I always got the sense that he was just such a nice guy. I mean, sure, the guy liked making money and the guy didn't mind promoting trash TV. I liked him very much as a person. Again, once his show went in a certain direction, it wasn't my thing. I used to listen to him on radio a lot. I listened to his podcast occasionally. And I would follow what he was doing. And he did something that was so much fun. And I'm pretty sure this was pre-pandemic. Yeah, it was. He did a video. He almost did it like a cooking show where all – and I get the sense that Jerry Springer is about as good at cooking – slightly less as good at cooking as I am. And he basically made some instant custard which basically involved tearing open a packet of essentially jello jello pudding, putting it in water and stirring and waiting. And that he made a video of it and he it was hysterical. So other people want to talk to him about this judge show or politics. That's what I spoke to him about about this video where he made custard. I actually had no idea you were such an accomplished chef. Uh, You've launched this new segment uh, called In the Kitchen with Jerry, in which you pretty expertly, I must say, uh, show how to uh, prepare instant vanilla custard. I'm wondering if there are people at home who are struggling with this, who haven't seen the video. Are there any pro tips you can offer for how best to prepare instant vanilla custard? Oh, well, you see as may not be a surprise after you see the video, I I don't cook. I, I've never been to a room you call, what do you call it, a kitchen? Yeah, I've never been to a kitchen. So, uh, you know, my, you know, best thing I make are reservations. So that's, okay, so that's what I do. So now uh, my wife said, you know, honey, why don't you learn to make something? So I did a video of me for the first time making... Instant vanilla pudding. Now, let me tell you, that involved opening the box, which sometimes is difficult to open. And then inside, they have a packet of the mix. You got to open the mix without having it fall all over the kitchen floor, put it in the bowl. Then you got to get two cups of milk. Well, you got to measure the two cups. You think that's easy? Then you pour that over. And then you got to, what do they call that thing? Uh, Not a mixer, but. Whatever. It looks like a whisk. Uh, A whisk. A whisk. That's it. You take this whisk, and for two minutes, you got to stir it. And and this video is unbelievable. Uh, You will love it. And then you put it in the refrigerator for five minutes. 
I'm telling you, people are inviting me to their homes already um, <laughs> to, to make this vanilla pudding for them. So there you go. Um, in fact, after I finish the Judge Jerry, I'm going to do a cooking show. <laughs> now, I, mean, I love that he had such a good sense of humor about the whole thing. And this is the last clip I'll play you. I have so many clips of Jerry Springer, not just with me, with uh, but with other people. But um, we had a lot of fun over the years uh, teasing each other about our baseball allegiances. Now, I don't understand how a guy from Queens cannot be a Met fan. And the guy was raised in Queens, and the guy is a diehard Yankee fan. And stuck with that even after moving to Cincinnati and running for office there. I mean, you know what kind of courage that takes? Not to root for the Reds in Cincinnati, but to root for the Yankees? So we we joked a lot around a little bit about baseball from time to time. How do you end yes. up a Yankee fan instead of a Met fan? You should be down here struggling with me. Yeah, well, uh, the thing is, I like professional baseball. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, uh, no I, I think the uh, – actually, I think, you know, now that they're trying to figure out what to do, you know, with continuing Major League Baseball in light of COVID-19, um, you know, would they play the games without any fans? And uh, I think they should get in touch with the Mets to – find out what it's like uh oh i am so cruel that's just horrible uh, but trust me no, my... no i grew up a yankee fan well first of all as you said there were no mets then when i was a kid which i came to america when i was five in 1949 and back then new york had yankees the brooklyn dodgers and the new york giants so major league baseball only had 16 teams and three of them were from new york city so if you were a boy growing up in New York at that time, and the only sport on television, most people at that time didn't even have a television, but the only games that ever were on television were baseball games. You didn't have pro football on television or pro basketball or any of that or hockey. It was all, you know, it was all baseball. So every kid, grew, and in New York, every single day for seven months, you would have Either the Yankees, Dodgers, or Johnson. Well, every every day you'd have all three teams uh, on television. So every every boy became a, a a baseball fan. And I chose the Yankees because when I came to America at five, we didn't know in England we didn't know anything about baseball. And I've even heard the name baseball. But my mother thought it was important that you know I become Americanized. So she went to Gertz, which was a department store in New York City. And she bought me a baseball outfit. She didn't know. She just picked one out. They had the right size. It turned out to be a Yankee uniform. Uh, uh, I see. And every day to school, I would wear this Yankee baseball uniform. And I became a die. And to this day, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. But from 1949 to 1964, for 16 straight years, Every single year, the Yankees, Dodgers, or Giants were in the World Series, and sometimes two of them. Wow. Yeah. Uh, in fact, many times. So it was all, you know, the World Series was what October was about. It was a New York sport. Yeah. So that's why I became a Yankee fan. So, so uh, I always enjoyed talking with them. So I guess that conversation was during COVID because he mentions COVID in the baseball. So uh, so be it. Hey, I also uh, want to um, th- very briefly 
James Corden ended his eight-year stint on the Late Late Show about a few hours ago. And he had appearances from Tom Cruise, Harry Styles, and Adele. And he said it's been life-changing. And he did uh, sort of a fun bit with uh, with Tom Cruise. And uh, I was going to talk a little bit more about James Corden. But they performed a song from The Lion King. Uh, okay, Tom Cruise and James Corden performing a song from The Lion King. So in the show, uh, in the show, Cruise, who in the past has challenged Corden to take part in all sorts of stunts, joined him in a Broadway theater, uh, Broadway rendition of Can You Feel the Love Tonight? This is just a couple hours ago, and congratulations to James Corden uh, signing off on a great eight-year run uh, as the host of The Late Late Show. Here is, um, oh, actually, this is them. Yeah, okay, this is uh, James Corden and Tom Cruise. They're parodying Jerry Maguire after joining the cast of The Lion King in the last episode. Listen to this. Listen, Simba and a couple of the hyenas, uh, we're going out for a drink, so let's go. No, I'm not going to. You go ahead. What? What, What's the matter, buddy? Nothing. What do you mean? I said I'm not going to go, okay? (laughs) I'll just see you around, I guess. James. You don't have to pretend anymore, Tom. I know how this works. You're a big movie star, and you're going to have more projects to promote, and when that happens, you're just going to find yourself another late-night host. James. You tell James. me I'm wrong. When Mission Impossible 12 comes out, now you're not going to think of me. You're going to be off base-jumping with Bo and Yang. Whose fault is that? Huh? I'm not the one turning my back on everything that we have, everything that we've created. This is your last show. You did this to us. That's what's cards on the table time, is it? Mm-hmm. Is that what this no, is? Let's just go out and have a drink. Yeah. We're you want to know let's something? You want to know something? I watched Top Stop. Gun Maverick, and I watched it on a tiny James. TV in my kitchen, and I didn't even turn off motion smoothing. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Go then. Yeah. Your hyenas yeah. are waiting for you. Goodbye, James. Goodbye. So then they they did they went to the song. So that's kind of fun. Uh, so congratulations to James Corden. I'm not sure who's going to be taking over for him. We'll see. Hey, uh, seventh caller. We're going to play the thousand dollar minute. If you want to answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds, then call a eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 right now. If you're the seventh caller, we'll give you that opportunity. Get them all right, you win a thousand dollars. Ten trivia questions, sixty seconds, thousand dollars. Simple as that. We're going to do movies and news of the day with Debbie Schlossel in a moment. Uh, but uh, let me leave you with this closing thought uh, from Jerry Springer on commitment. It's certainly understandable to want the person you love to be committed to you exclusively, to be monogamous, to tell all other suitors or would-be lovers to back off and stay away. He or she is with you and only you. And indeed, you have the right to demand of the person you want to be the significant other in your life that kind of commitment. But you also have to know that love can't just be an obligation. The person you want has to want you just as much on his or her own. If you force someone to make a choice, to make a commitment, they may, in fact, under the pressure of the moment, choose you and make that commitment. But commitments made under pressure are unlikely to last. The truth is, for a relationship to work, your partner has to commit because he wants to, not because you want him to. Till next time, take care of yourself and and each each other. other. 
Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Love, do not like, love this song, okay? This is my favorite Oigo Boingo song, okay? If you've ever seen Teen Wolf 2, the montage with this song in it is the highlight of that picture. On the five times a year when I work out, this is the song that's playing in my brain, okay? This is the greatest workout song of all time. This is outstanding. I, I was playing this around the house yesterday when I was playing with Carmine. I started randomly doing push-ups. I, and now I'm in no shape to do push-ups. Love this song. This is instant adrenaline. Let, let me hear five seconds. Phenomenal. Oingo Boingo. Uh, someone on TV. All right. Uh, we're going to talk with Debbie Schlossel. Get some movie reviews in a moment. I'm going to pick her brain on some legal and political issues if we have time as well. But first, let's play... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. All right. Uh, we got Tim in New Jersey. Hello, Tim. Hey, Frank. Tim, uh, have you heard this segment before? Yes. Okay, so you know and understand the rules of the game. Yeah. All right, let's get started if you're ready. What is yep, the name? Ready. What is the name of the planet we live on? Earth. What is the name of the main character in the movie Forrest Gump? Forrest Gump. Who wrote the classic children's book Green Eggs and Ham? Dr. Seuss. Who was the leader of the Soviet Union during World War II? Well, that's a good one. Um, he had a mustache. Oh. Oh. Uh, Stalin. Who was the lead singer of the band Queen? Uh, Freddie Mercury. Which country is home to the tallest mountain in the world, Mount Everest? Um... Russia. Ah, no, I'm sorry. Uh, No? No, we did well there. You pulled the last two out when I didn't think you could. It's uh, on the border of Nepal and China. We would have accepted either one. Tim, stay on the line. Kenneth's going to get your information. Sorry. Uh, And and we'll give you a consolation prize. All right. Someone that I know would have gotten that is a very intelligent woman, very opinionated woman. She has, uh, she's very, very, very strong opinions about everything, foreign policy, politics, the law, and of course, motion pictures. It has been way too long since we got to chat with Debbie Schlossel, attorney, author, political commentator, and film critic. Debbie, thanks so much for uh, getting up early on a Friday, and I hope you're doing well. Thank you. My pleasure. 
Uh, Debbie, as I, I always like to do, I want to get your thoughts on the film du jour, but I, I have to get your your take on the media situation du jour. You've been you've done a lot of cable news appearances over the years, and I have to ask you about the uh, the news this week of uh, Tucker Carlson's departure from Fox News. Your reaction uh, on any level? What do you think about that? Well, I was never a fan of Tucker Carlson, and in fact. All over the last few years when he was hosting the show on Fox News, I would constantly tell my friends, why do you believe anything he's saying? He does not believe it. Because for years, he hosted all of these shows as a rhino moderate Republican. He was never a conservative, but all of his shows were failures. They all got low ratings, and he was fired from all of them. So he saw what people wanted and how to be a success at Fox News, and he became – he assumed a role. He did not believe in any of this stuff, and we know from some of his private text messages, and I'm not even talking about the ones that came out in the Dominion lawsuit, but some of his other messages that he was friends with Hunter Biden. He asked Hunter Biden to help his son get into, I think, Georgetown. Mm. Um, and so on. So this guy was never a conservative. And I think he had total disrespect for all the people who watched his show because he didn't believe anything he was serving up to them. And he said so basically in his text messages in the Dominion lawsuit that came out. And he, he basically said, I'm going to I'm going to treat you like mushrooms, viewers. I'm going to feed you excrement and keep you in the dark. <laughs> and that's what I think happened here. Um And I can tell you this. I was one time crossfire when he was a host. I was on several times. And one time he was a host, and I think it was Paul DeGala when I was on. And I felt like I was debating three liberals, um, Paul DeGala, Tucker, and whoever the liberal was opposite me. He was not a conservative. um, And you know what? I usually believe that if you're not really um, what you're putting out there, people are going to notice. But apparently – they didn't um, until the hosts, the uh, owners, at least, of Fox News finally noticed. So I'm well, not do, a fan. I'm glad he's gone. Do you think the owners got rid of him because he didn't believe the things that he was saying? Or, I, I mean, do you think they – I mean, look, we both know that Sean Hannity doesn't believe in anything. Um, right. And he says he has no problem going on television and spouting whatever the Republican talking point of the day is. The Murdochs don't seem to mind that. Why would they get so upset about Tucker Carlson parroting things that he doesn't really believe? Well, I think that when all of those messages came out, that was embarrassing to them. His messages were the most, I would say, um, in your face, calling somebody the C-word that was an executive at Fox News um, and a lot of other things that I think were a lot more out there than uh, Laura Ingram and Sean Hannity's messages. I also think that he thought he is – he is Fox News and they can't get rid of him and that he's bigger than everything. And I think they wanted to show him, no, you're not bigger. We got rid of Bill O'Reilly. We'll get rid of you, too. And whoever we put in that slot will do just as fine. Um, so I think that was part of it also. Um, and I think they'd had enough. I mean, even Rupert Murdoch, remember, he was engaged to this woman, Leslie Ann Smith, I think her name was. Right. And she told Rupert Murdoch that Tucker Carlson was a messenger sent by God. And apparently that was the reason, according to reports, that he broke up with her. Wow. He said, no, he's not a messenger 
from God. And ain't that the truth? He definitely is not. Um, you know, I another issue I had with Tucker Carlson is a lot of the people he put on his show a lot of the time were not conservatives. They were far leftists like Glenn Greenwald, Naomi Wolf. These were people who hated America and they hated Jews in many cases. He put on a lot of anti-Semites. Um, and he remember, he edited out Kanye West's right. anti-Semitic comments. To make give him the kosher seal of approval. You know, um, um, uh, you know, I, I, we have limited time, and and well, I'd love to have a longer discussion about this because uh, I'd love to. I think I come from a little more than a little bit of a different point of view uh, on a few of these things, and I'd love to have a, a longer discussion about this. But I, I want to pick your brain on two other different issues in the news before we get to the uh, before we get to the movies of the week. I don't mean to cut you off, but this E. Sure. Jean Carroll case began in New York this week. She's alleging that. That almost 30 years ago, Donald Trump uh, raped her in a department store. It's not something I've talked about much on, on the radio. I was waiting for someone uh, who has some legal expertise to comment on it. You're, uh, you're very conservative, but not necessarily a Trump person. W- what's your take on where, objectively, where this E.G. E. Jean Carroll lawsuit uh, suing the former president for rape and defamation goes? You know, I think Trump is making a mistake not being at the trial. I understand he doesn't want to lower himself to this whole thing. Um, But I think it doesn't look good when you're the defendant. You're being accused of something very, very serious, and you're not there to defend yourself. I don't like this whole loophole in the law where New York made it possible all of a sudden for people to bring up accusations from decades ago. And this is from decades ago. She should have said something and done something decades ago. Now is. I think uh, a little bit after the a little bit too late. So I don't like this whole thing. Um, none of us will ever know what happened at Barney's, I think, is where she said this happened. Um, and I just think it's a little disingenuous to bring something this far along later. But I think legally, if you're the defendant for something like this, you should be there because the jury is going to see you're not there. And I know that I've had cases where an accuser in a criminal case, it's not a criminal case, but still it's the same concept where the accuser isn't there. And I will tell the jury, why isn't the accused? Why right. isn't the accuser here? In this case, why isn't the accused here? Um, it, it, it looks like there is some guilt. And E. Jean Carroll is a big time liberal. We know that she's got an axe to grind. And listen, I don't like Trump personally. I don't like his behavior. I don't like his dinners with Kanye and and Nick Fuentes, um, but I did vote for him three times in a primary and two generals. I think he did a lot of great things as president. I don't like his behavior personally. Who knows what he did with this woman? But I really think uh, this whole loophole to be able to come after people decades later is outrageous. And, and I don't think it should be allowed. But um, I do think if he gets convicted of the or if he gets, sorry, not convicted, if he gets found guilty in this case, he will appeal it. And it might go to the Supreme Court, and it might get overturned. We'll see. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. All right. Uh, you've said your guy for 2024 is Ron DeSantis. News came yes. out yesterday that he is going to be announcing an exploratory committee next month. It looks like he's definitely in. His poll numbers have not been so great against Trump, and they've diminished since Trump's been running this torrent of negative ads, uh, bashing DeSantis for trying to reduce Social Security benefits and uh, uh, eating pudding with his hands and a bunch of other things. Um <laughs> 
how how are you feeling about the prospects uh, of a DeSantis Trump primary right now? So I don't think anyone cares about those ads. I think the indictment of Trump and lawsuits like this E. Jean Carroll thing are uh, causing a lot of people to circle the wagons around Trump. And this is by design by the Democrats, and they're achieving their goal because they want Trump to be the nominee because they know that in head-to-head polls, uh, Joe Biden will beat him. They also know that in head-to-head polls, Ron DeSantis will beat Joe Biden. Um, I don't think it's looking good for Ron DeSantis at this point. But remember, at this point, Howard Dean could have been the Democratic nominee. Um, Hillary Clinton was beating Barack Obama regularly in the polls until towards the end when the when the primaries began so you never know what's going to happen it's so long from now anything could happen um in a year or i think it's a little less than a year when the primaries start i think isn't the first primary in january or december something like that. i think it's in january of next year um so we'll see what happens it's almost a lifetime in politics and Anything could change. Um, we will see. All right. Um, Guy Ritchie has a film out called The Covenant, where it takes place during the war in Afghanistan and deals with a local interpreter. How'd you like this picture? I very much enjoyed this. This is really the best new movie that I've seen in a little while. Um, this story is not true. And uh, if it were, wow, this there were many heroic acts by a lot of these Afghan interpreters, but there were also some that were only doing it for the money. Some were turncoats, and they were doing this to feed information to the Taliban and jeopardize our troops. They show all of this and in, in all of that in this movie. Um, the real star of this movie, even though it stars Jake Gyllenhaal as this American uh, soldier who is uh, being – uh, base, basically dragged around the mountains where the Taliban is um, undercover by this heroic translator who saves his life. It's really the person that plays the heroic translator that is the star of the movie. His name is Dar Salim. He's an Iraqi-born, um, I believe, Danish or Norwegian actor. I've seen him on Netflix in some Scandinavian shows. Um, I enjoyed the movie. It's very suspenseful. This guy was very saintly. I really wish that all of the translators and really um, a good portion of the Afghan people were like this translator. If they were, they would have risen up against the Taliban and the Taliban wouldn't have taken over uh, the entire country again in 30 days. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, There are 50,000 of these translators, a lot of them still trying to come back, come to the United States. I don't know if we want 50,000 people, not all of whose loyalties we know, coming to the United States. And that was sort of the message of the movie. But if you ignore that message and you just watch the movie as a, you know, it shows the things that our soldiers fought and that they faced in Afghanistan. I think this is very well done. Guy Ritchie did a great job. And I highly recommend it. All right. Very patriotic, too. A lot of folks remember Ray Romano, the comedian from his work on Everybody Loves Raymond or some of the other TV projects he's been involved with. He's directed a new film called Somewhere in in Queens. What's this about? Is this worth seeing? I hated this movie. Ray Romano wrote and directed this. He stars in it. Um, It's about this couple starring uh, Lori Metcalf is the wife. They have a son who may have some basketball talent, 
Ray Romano wants him to have a chance to maybe get a college scholarship and play in college, and he interferes in the son's life with his girlfriend and so on to get this to happen, and the whole family gets mad at Ray Romano. There's a lot of yelling and screaming, and I felt like I was in the middle of a bad divorce that Mm. I don't want to be in. I'm not even married. Why do I have to go (laughs) through this? And Lori Metcalf's uh, Queen's accent, as well as the son's, go in and out the whole time, and I just felt like it's a very – there are a lot of bad stereotypes of Italian-Americans. I didn't care for I'll it. I'll skip that then. Hey, by the way, Debbie, how come you're not married? Obviously, you're a very attractive woman, very smart, pretty successful. I would think you'd have all these uh, potential suitors, uh, you know, clawing at you. Is that, has that been, Why have you decided to remain a bachelorette? Well, I never met the right guy. And when I thought I met the right guy, it wasn't. He wasn't the one. Hmm. So what can I say? You know, sometimes you wait too long, you get too picky, or you waste your time on the wrong people. And I did a little of all of that. Maybe we could do a Radio Debbie dating game one day. <laughs> no, thanks. No? Okay. Yeah, I don't blame you. With <laughs> Okay. Um, I remember, last one we'll mention today, and then maybe we could do this again next week. Um, the In middle school, I think I read the Judy Bloom book, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I remember being unimpressed with it even in the sixth grade. I see it's a motion picture now. Is this worth seeing? So I have mixed feelings about this. It's actually a cute movie, although I think it's very anti-religion. Um, I remember when I was a kid in the, growing up in the 70s and 80s, and Judy Bloom books were a big deal, and they were very controversial. She's a big-time liberal, and a lot. I really think that she sexualized young girls. A lot of my classmates at a very young age by writing these books. Um, now, if you look at her books and you watch this movie, it's really nothing compared to what's on the Internet and the way society is today. But I really think that she and the feminists brought on the culture that we have today where people are super sexualized. Kids are having sex at very young ages because of this kind of mm. ethos, this kind of attitude. So I, I'm not a big Judy Bloom fan. I do think the actors in the movie were good. It was a cute movie. Um, but. You know, I did not like Judy Bloom at all, and I don't like anything that promotes her or makes her money. She's still alive. I'm sure she's got a big piece of the action here. Well, it doesn't sound like a mixed review there, but uh, I, uh, it sounds like that's a, maybe a must-skip. Uh, Debbie, uh, we'll, um, I know there's a bunch of other films that we didn't get to. Maybe we'll do this again next week. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Can I just say, uh, Jerry Springer of Blessed Memory, I was on a show with him once, Politically Incorrect. And he was such a nice guy, even though I attacked him on his show and I on the show. And I just want to say that I think in many ways, Oprah did the same show he did, but he never got the respect. And she pretended she was doing some kind of low brow or highbrow stuff when she was no different than him. And he did not pretend that his show was any highbrow thing. He, you know, did not act like he was something he wasn't. And I really thought he was a nice guy. Well said, uh, Debbie. Couldn't agree with you more. Uh, 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Neil! Hey, Frank, bring back the Lutheran hour. It'll give you a chance to go get a notch and take a squirt. Droy! Listeners, Frank Morano is Avery's 
Viagra. Don't listen to Avery and Curtis. Mario. Hey, Dolly. Uh, you could have gotten a Jerry Springer type of show, and uh, the guy Sid that works at the station, he's quite a jerk off. He's a jerk off. Pete. Susan Warren, Susan Warren. David. Yes, anyone in America who would send text messages about their boss calling them the C-word would lose their job, just like arrogant Tucker Carlson did. We'll give you the last word, uh, David. That just about slams the lid on things for today. If you want to stay in touch, you can email me, frank.morano at redappleaudionetworks.com. That's uh, frank.morano at, uh, at redappleaudionetworks.com. We're in touch with Dimitri Babich. He may be on this program on Monday, but uh, there's a language barrier as Alex and I are trying to communicate with him that is not going well, which might not portend a great interview. But I've heard him speak, and he, his English sounds decent. So maybe we'll we'll see if it's worth the effort. If not, we'll we'll do something else. A lot of fun stuff planned for next week. And um, you, you follow my Facebook page. I'm going to be posting some fun videos. I finally got a new phone. I haven't hooked it up yet. I'm going to hook it up when we get home. And uh, I am going to be hopefully doing a Facebook Live video from the boardwalk of Atlantic City sometime this afternoon. So the best way to see that is go to facebook.com slash moranofan. Hit the uh, subscribe button. Thank you for listening. My thanks to Debbie Schlussel. I'm sorry we didn't have more time to chat movies, but, you know, she's an interesting lady. wanted to get her take on a bunch of other things. And um, a lot of other subjects we didn't get to today, today, believe it or not, even though we did cover a lot of ground. Check out the Racket Report podcast. And in Jerry Springer's honor, be good to yourself and each other.